My name is Tom Chick. You are listening to the Quarter to Three movie podcast for the entire year of 2012. <laughs> Just the whole year. <laughs> they can skip all the other ones if they, this is the first one they listen to, right? Exactly. Let's jump to this one. We do this every year. Uh, get comfortable. Uh, we might be here for a while. We've got a lot of movies to talk about uh, because it was a long year. We saw at least 52 movies this year. Some of us see more. Oh, good point. Yeah, longer than normal. Um, yeah. So uh, let's just jump into it. Before, Actually, before we start, I just want to let you know, uh, maybe you have not seen all of the movies of 2012. That is okay. We are going to do something we don't normally do, and we're going to talk about movies as if we were talking to people who have not seen them. Normally on this podcast, we talk as if you have seen the movie. Uh, we dig into spoilers. We ruin things. We uh, give away plot twists. We're going to try our best to avoid that. Last year, we had some technical difficulties and had to bleep a few things that one of us named Kelly Wand said. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wand, welcome to the podcast. I hate authority. Uh, so anyway, uh, keep listening if you haven't seen all the movies 2012. Uh, I am here this week with Christian Makrowski. Uh, my real name is Fat Patrick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> biggest two of us on the podcast got that one. Uh, and I am here with a tagline for 2012, maybe? Kelly Wand. 2000, twa fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> The first Argo reference of the evening. Uh, and Dingus, what was the uh, MPA rating for uh, 2012? Yeah, would the numberators say the average <laughs> letter was? Uh, 2012 was rated R. Um, <laughs> yeah. For, for strong, bloody shark violence, mainly. Throughout. Um, throughout. There was, and also, and Kelly Wand will love this, there was, um, there was thematic elements for the entire year. Elements. And uh, there was and some strong language and a lot of harsh sexuality. Wow. <laughs> uh, now, so what we did was everyone just made a 1 to 10 list. Their first place pick got 10 points, second place 9 points, third place 8 points, and so on. We just combined the points, and those points only reflect the order in which we're going to reveal everything. So uh, that'll determine what we talk about. But before we do that, uh, let's get some more math in here. Number one movie of the year in terms of uh, making its studio happy and making big bucks was The Avengers. Uh, counting down the list briefly, number two was Dark Knight Rises and then Hunger Games. After that came Skyfall and then uh, Twilight 5 or whatever that thing was. Um, again. <laughs> so uh, those were the top five money makers of the year. Uh, and Wait, Avengers... I go 10. Like, well, okay. Uh, number six was The Hobbit. Number seven, The Amazing Spider-Man. Number eight, Brave. Number nine, Ted. And number 10, Madagascar 3. <laughs> uh, one of the notable things about this list, though, uh, is Avengers made $623 million. In second place, Dark Knight Rising was only $448 million. So huge jump between number one and, and number two. Uh, Avengers was just like a... Just a, a runaway blockbuster hit. Uh, that thing made pretty much all the money. Well, so Dark Knight Rises was a non-runaway blockbuster hit. Dark Knight Rises, once you get down there, it starts to get a little closer amongst the movies. Yeah, uh, But it so was it Avengers. <laughs> Avengers took off like, Thank Tony, you for like, like Tony Stark carrying a <laughs> through an interdimensional...
Spoiler? I thought you said we're not allowed to do that right away. Wait a minute. Well, uh, you know, okay. Iconic you know what? moment. Iconic. You know, yeah, but everybody has seen the Avengers as this $623 million attest, Kelly Wand. But you're right. I, I did screw up right off the bat. I apologize. Well, so if it's on our list, we can talk about spoilers by that logic because it was profitable. Uh, if it made as much money as Avengers, yes, you can talk about spoilers. Only that much. <laughs> what was it? So, wait, did, what, I missed part of that list. Was Skyfall on the list? Skywalk, Skyfall was number... Uh, uh, you said Skywalk. Twilight, remember? Tom was all excited. Yeah, it was number four ahead of Twilight by enough millions that I don't think Twilight is going to catch I up. I hate that Brave lost to... What's the one above Brave? Amazing Spider-Man yeah. and The Hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's annoying, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so there we go. Uh, coming in uh, at the top of the list, there's going to be a few of these that are only on one person's list. Uh, the first one with one point. Uh, actually, I won't read the points. It doesn't matter. The first one only on one person's list. My number 10 pick for the year was uh, Killer Joe. So you jerks never got around to seeing this, did you? Uh, yeah, I did. Oh, you did. Okay, so uh, Dingus, I don't. I think you did this as well, but I, I've picked a favorite moment and a quote from the movies that I am going to talk about. Uh, not necessarily the favorite moment, but a favorite moment. One of my favorite moments in Killer Joe was its its peculiar use of canned pumpkin and a fried chicken leg. Oh, Jesus, Tom. Dingus, it's... Dingus, what? I can't. What? I can, and I did. What do you think of that? No, I don't want to think about those things. I'd rather you talk about taking off uh, your socks. Take off your socks, Tom. These are spoilers. Up the, uh. here's, the, here's the line. No, those aren't, that's not a spoiler. Uh, here's the line. Uh, I'm not sure why we did that, but it makes me mad. It's kind of like getting away your front porch. <laughs> so what I loved about Killer Joe, I, I so didn't know what to expect going into it. It is so completely, utterly white trash, sick, and twisted. It, it's this grand, no-frills presentation of a play by Tracy Letts uh, that makes great use of, of Emile Hirsch, Thomas Hayden Church, and, and Gina Gershon as these absolute dumbasses, uh, each of whom fits <laughs> the part so perfectly. I mean, I love movies about people who aren't bright, who aren't articulate, who don't really know what's going on, and that's clearly the case with these three characters in Killer Joe. I but relatable. What really makes Killer Joe work for me is this spectacular interplay of Matthew McConaughey's oil reptilian cool and an actress named Juno Temple's rapt otherworldly effervescence. Uh, it, it's just this, this fascinating mix in the middle of this sick, twisted, white trash drama. Uh, so uh, that, that was my number 10 for, for the year was Killer Joe. So, Dingus, you did see it. But yeah. didn't put on his list. Uh, well, no, that, that's that's fine. Uh, but I uh, was it too much for you? Because you you have delicate sensibilities, Dingus. I do have delicate sensibilities. <laughs> I did not bring them tonight, but I do have them. Okay, <laughs> leave those. Um, uh, one of the things that I love that you mentioned is that I, it's it's always been my contention that that playing uh, an intellect below that of yourself is a very difficult thing yes. to do. And um, and those three actors, I didn't even know there was Emil Hirsch when I was watching it, actually. Uh, I kept going, who's that guy? Who's this guy? Who's I think his, his character's name is Chris. Is that right? Yes, yeah. And, and she's and Gina Gershon's you know talking about what a jerk, what an idiot Chris is. But she, but she, uh, Gina Gershon, Thomas Hayden Church, and who I guess probably makes a living out of playing characters who are dumber than he is. Uh, who knows what his level actually is? And then Emil Hirsch. I mean, they're they're wonderful in this. Um, 
but I just thought that uh, that Matthew McConaughey was was so one notey that he drove me nuts. Uh, yeah, and, I understand, uh, yeah. And um, it just didn't come together for me. But I'm, I'm I I watched it because I, I I had heard you speak highly of it a couple of times, and so I wanted to make sure that it was on my slate of things to see. Uh, and I can see it, and it's got so many nice stylistic touches. Um, but I wish you had not brought up those two things. <laughs> here's what here's what I would let me ask you this, Dingus. Don't you think Kelly Wan should see Killer Joe? Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think he'd be uh, enthralled in, in your end of the ledger on that one. <laughs> All right, so uh our next movie... Wait, wait, wait. Uh yes, you know, it sound like Gummo, I was gonna say. You know what, I've never seen Gummo. You've mentioned it a few oh. times. Uh I don't my my Harmony Corinne is woefully inadequate. Isn't that the guy that directed Gummo? Or am I confusing it with Larry Clark or something? I don't know. Okay. Uh, and who's the girl again, Tom? Juno Temple is she. So a lot of people might know her as the woman who, who for whatever reason, hangs around with Catwoman in uh, Dark Knight Rises. Um, so oh. Ju- yeah, yeah. She had a little part. She's like Anne Hathaway's uh-huh. sidekick. They don't really do much with her. Yeah. She's in the bar with her. Oh, well, of course. All right. Duh. Yeah. And she was she's also in an... this. I mean, that, that what she does in Dark Knight Rises does not give you a sense of what she yeah. can do. There, there was a weird indie movie from last year that uh, actually about the last month. I saw it at the, the little art house here called uh, Jack and Diane, where uh, Riley Keough, um, who... I think it's like one of Elvis's offspring at some point, uh, and and Juno Temple. It's like a it's it's a kind of a teen lesbian drama with a weird horror bent to it. It's it's a pretty terrible movie, but Juno Temple's just so fascinating to watch, uh, and I think Killer Joe is a great introduction to her. So, uh, all right, so uh, yeah, so Kelly Wand, I don't I don't know how to compare it to Gummo. Uh, What's the lesbian thing again? Called? It's called Jack and Jack and Diane. Um, and I only it's, see movies if there's two names in the title with the J. <laughs> uh, the great thing about Jack and Diane is it has two very good performances. Both of the girls are really, really good, and a uh, and a little Kara Seymour. If, if you're if you're fond of acting, very good. Nice cool. All right, so also only on one list. Uh, although we all saw it and we all liked it, Kelly Wand's number nine pick for 2012. Kelly Wand, tell us why you chose Cabin in the Woods. Uh, it's a good movie. I didn't write things why I liked him. <laughs> I love this moment in the podcast because uh, I remember, uh, I think the two of us, Tom, loved it and <laughs> Kelly was reserved. <laughs> this always happens where he's reserved about something and then it winds up on his list. Yeah, yeah he's cut off. Well, because you guys win me over. There's a, one on my list this year where you guys... Think it's, yeah, wait, wait till you hear the rest of his list. <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> <laughs> Cabin in the Woods, it wasn't a very good year for horror movies, by the way. Uh, wait, wait. Let me think about that. That's a strong statement, Chick. Sinister, Possession, Paranormal Activity 4. Did uh, you say that ever? I saw all of those, yeah. Come on, I wouldn't go without seeing a horror movie. Um, yeah, it was, it was a very weak year for horror movies, but... It's terrifying. What was terrifying? Chernobyl Diaries. Chernobyl Diaries, thank you. Exactly. I rest my case. Fear of Diaries. Yeah. Uh, but Cabin in the Woods opened things kind of with a bit of a bang, a meta bang, if you will. It's got uh, good performances, good dialogue. It's my favorite Joss Whedon product. Like, I don't think I get Joss Whedon. I didn't get The Avengers. Mm-hmm. I don't think. I'm 
$625 million away. Well, we, we've talked about this before, but I, I, you can certainly see the hand of Joss Whedon. I feel Cabin in the Woods, More you kind of have to give Drew Goddard some Drew credit. Goddard. I mean, there's a yeah, lot of that, that weird lost twistiness going on with, with Cabin in the Woods. Um, and yeah. plus, Kelly Wand, a dude uh, beats off zombies with a bong, obviously. The- Spoiler! Shoot, that gummit. <laughs> You're like 0 for 3, and I'm spotless. How's that, that a spoiler? Okay. You know what? I, oh, you're right. Good point. Well, uh, all right. Bong. I love Kevin in the Woods. I'm so glad you put it on there because it was, uh, I don't know, guys didn't have somewhere hovering between 10 and 20 on my list. I, I mean, I don't know what people think about this year in film, and I haven't read about whether or not everybody thinks 2012 was good or bad, but I had a lot of movies to winnow down, and uh, and Cabin in the Woods was one that could have been on there. I mean, I had such a great time watching that movie, and I was anticipating it because uh, Kelly had actually talked it up, and then we watched it, and he was like, meh. I was trolling you. But I really like the ending. It's one of those things where it was that topic where the ending saves the movie. Remember that three by three? Like Martyrs. It's also a movie where I, I think you, you kind of, it, it really pays off to go in knowing next to nothing. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I wonder if people have missed that opportunity. Like, I think once it had a wide release, uh, once there was some buzz about it. Uh, I think, though, the the, surpri- the, th- the twists, though, don't lend themselves to people spoiling it like they want you to get it. So they don't spoil it, is my theory, right. my optimistic theory. So if you haven't seen it, see it. There you go. What's, what's great is that, is that you, you sit there in the opening scene and, and thereafter, and this is one thing I love about about certain movies, is that I'm, I'm watching these two guys – banter about and i'm like what kind of movie am i in what what's gonna happen what is what what is going on here and that lasts for a while and i like that feeling in a movie what what is going on here and and i feel this sense of i I don't know what movie i'm sitting on right right sometimes i fall for the girl character in the movie and that makes it puts it on my list i think unfairly and that's what you, you think that might be what happened with Cabin in the Woods? Mm, I wonder if Kristen Connolly hadn't been in it, I, it would be the, in the top ten. I don't know. You're the number eighter. You tell me how my mind works, Tom. Well, here's an example of how your mind works, Kelly Wan. Why don't you now tell us about your number eight pick? For ah, <laughs> this was going to be my number one at one point. Because here's the thing, Tom. The movie is Amazing Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. What? Or as I call it, Point Ramey. Yeah. You know what? Because it was the best fucking time I had at the movies this year. And therefore, comedy... Because Oh, you're not saying it's good. I see. I see what you're doing. Okay. That's the theme of my list, Mr. Concept Man Pants. It was great. It was it's such a funny movie to watch with friends and like pick out how stupid it is. Okay. It's like a drinking game movie. <laughs> So, for instance, it's like the slot that maybe Conan would have had the year before. I don't know what that means. When but, we all saw Conan the Barbarian, and it was awful. But yeah, I, that movie I remember being boring, though. I remember being bored okay. during Conan. Okay. But during Spider-Man, I was never bored. Like, every scene, I go, what? No, that's not. <laughs> Wait, they're wrestling for the gun? Wait, the Indian guy's punching in the... Like, it's just shot by shot, the stupidest movie ever. I adore it. I think it's amazing. All right. That guy, if Mark Webb turns out like if he's Andy Kaufmaning us, the guy's a fucking genius. 
Uh, I think those of us who have seen 500 Days of Summer know a little better than that, Kelly Wand. (laughs) (laughs) Jedi, Han Solo. (laughs) All right, Dingus. Actually, Kelly just stole something that I was going to use for the the 3x3 by... by, by, He totally preempted me, so I'm not going to do that. But uh, that is one of those uh, best, worst moments, was sitting through... uh, Which moment? Just no, the the amazing sitting through the amazing Spider-Man is the worst, one of the worst movies that I've seen. But I had Ever. the best experience at. Yeah, see, that was because I was sitting there with you dudes and and having to hear hear that awful dialogue, yeah, like, um, <laughs> how dare you? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. How can't stop saying it? See, so w- what point does a meme go? From? And then, and then Kelly saying, "I agree with the music." So, so you know, I at first I was shocked that he would waste a slot on his top ten for this yeah. awful piece. I of wasted crap. nine other ones. This is the greatest. But which, which to you is a better moment? This is like is when he's in the back of the car and the guy just opens the car and, he, and Spider-Man's in the back seat because he knew which car the guy was going to break into, or when the Indian guy punches in the code. Like, which of those would you watch over and over? The worst, the absolute worst part of that movie is how he completely botches the spider bite. The, the, you don't even see it. It's, it's this weird, you don't even see it happen. It's not it's even just, a spider. It's like a CG, right? Yeah. It, 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 no, but when I, when I say moment, <laughs> I'm sitting through the movie with the two of you. Right. And we can never, Everyone should be like us and sit through that movie that same night. At the With you. Everyone should be able to, to hire you to go to bed. Uh, I was the Larry... Uh, I do. I do feel that I agree with the music. was was such an iconic line that I'd forgotten it was an amazing Spider-Man. Uh, whenever I hear crappy music in a movie now, I think of Kelly Wand muttering, "I agree with the music." <laughs> that was so awesome. Uh, what was this? What was the scene? The music I was agreeing. Oh, good lord! I don't even remember the scene. I didn't even remember it was the movie. It was just that observation. Kelly. And we'll never see that sit through it again. So we'll never know now. It was this year's "You're Welcome, Slaves." Exactly. Uh, Dingus, what was your number eight pick? You were the only person to put this uh, movie on your list. I adore it. It came close for me. But what did you choose for your number eight that also Kelly Wand hasn't seen? You didn't put it on your list? I just, there were ten other movies I liked better. I don't know. I came up with ten. It's hard for me to think of ten. Would it have even gone on your list of favorite trailers? Um, I, I don't, the trailer, I don't know, because the trailer is just great stuff from the movie. All right, well, here's a quote from my number eight movie. Who would be easier to sleep with, Captain America or a great white shark? <laughs> I did, I was thinking of best, my favorite last lines from the year, but I didn't want to, like a lot of them are spoilers, so I didn't do that. But I did, the last line for this movie I do want to point out, and it is, all right, nerds, let's go with... That right there, and, and then cut. That's the last line of this movie. So, Dingus, oh, uh, give us a spoiler. Dingus, give <laughs> you guys. All right, I get bleeped. Let the record show, and you guys just get carte blanche because you know how to bleep shit. <laughs> Dingus, give us a favorite a favorite thing from this movie before you tell us what it is. All right, so favorite thing is uh, Becca's audition with the cups. God, that was so awesome. I'm going to change my list now that you brought that up. All right, Dingus, what is the movie, and why is it your eighth favorite of the year? All right, this movie would be Pitch Perfect. Mm. Ah, Jesus Christ. 
I knew it. I thought of this when I was making out. I said, I have to listen to this. And yes, so looking forward to this movie. And they, it was, it's thanks to Tom who sent us the trailer. And, and uh, usually he sends trailers to people like me uh, when he means we're never going to see this. Uh, but I watched it and I went, oh. I'm going to have to see this movie. Um, uh, if you we, guys magic mic me, I'm fucking quitting the podcast. I swear <laughs> to God. Um, all right. Well, see you later. Uh, so Pitch Perfect. Uh, oh, and uh, it's just, oh, Anna Kendrick, Anna Kendrick, Anna Kendrick. Oh, man. I, I, I freaking love this movie. Yeah, so. I should see it, actually. It's, uh, it's her and her doing that awesome audition with the cups, which I was not uh, – seeing coming at all it's just one and cup though it's just one cup no it's an two oh girls. you're right you're right it is one, one cup, cup. I, yeah yeah very good it's one one cup. girl one cup <laughs> kelly wand why would you do uh, that? sorry anna kendrick it has nothing to do with what i was thinking <laughs> and there's just so many great lines in this movie i was looking for a, a, a one line to use and you, and you have so many great lines like you call it a dude I mean, there's so many wonderful things and it's 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 that uh Oh man, what's the cheerleader movie? Uh, bring it on! It's that same bring it on thing, but it's got uh, a sense of humor about itself without winking. Uh, bring it on, totally lacks. And Anna Kendrick, she's just doing such a this. I don't know what I don't know how to say it. She's this is a standard comic role. She does it with such great earnestness. She never winks at you, right? And um, and she has great chemistry with the other actors in this without overwhelming them but still is the star of the movie and it's just paced perfectly the music is yeah. utterly great and uh and i don't know I, I think it's perfectly choreographed and perfectly put together and i want to call out Brittany snow too who plays uh i guess she'd be like the second female lead uh she's just so good as well like it made me want to see i already want to see everything anna kendrick does but it really made me think wow she's really good i want to see other stuff that she does i loved her in that uh, that was she was just a great discovery in Pitch Perfect. So they sing, right? Kelly Wan, this would be if I were to pick uh, best use of music in a movie this year, which you guys yes. are about to hear about. Uh, this would be second place, just because it, it really is. It <laughs> wow. really does. I mean, it really does get into like. It, it's not a musical, but the, the actual music is so important and how cool the music is and how they play with it and how they create it. It's such an important – I mean, it's one thing for a movie to have a great soundtrack, but to actually incorporate music into the action and what the characters are doing. You know, if there had been a great musical this year, it might have been better than Pitch Perfect. But uh, – and I didn't see Les Miserables. I, I, Frank uh, Stallone got snubbed again. <laughs> he was in a musical. Um, but I just, I loved the music in this. Uh, and I, I just loved the singing. And, and you know, like Dinka said, it's just so, it's so energetic and, and enthusiastic. Uh, weird. All right, Kelly Wan, when you see it, you, you come to us and you say, Tom, Dingus, I was wrong. You were right. That's what you can say to us. Wait, when do I say that? After you've seen Pitch Perfect and, and enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. Yes. <laughs> the second I'm finished enjoying it. I'm going to screenshot my monitor and send it to you. Thank you. Yes. Uh, all right. My number eight pick for the year, uh, I was the only one to choose this, uh, is, uh, and it's also, well, here, I'll give you guys a quote. The quote from it is, you could try resolving it with a G. And the movie is called Roadie. Uh, and one of my favorite Wait a thing- minute. 
I thought it was Django Unchained. Nope, it had a January release. Uh, Limited theatrical release in January. So, Rhodey uh, is, in my favorite moment from, one of my favorite moments from Rhodey is Ron Eldard's uh, cocaine fueled air drumming. Uh, He does, and it's not even like played as a joke. Like, he's totally on coke and he's air drumming to a song. Uh, I'm a little hesitant to bring this up, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. Uh, I don't generally, I've, I don't use drugs anymore, but I've certainly had my share of time with him as a kid. I didn't generally do coke, but there was one time I did coke, and I remember the guy I was doing it with, you know, after I took it, and I was just really enjoying it. The guy looked at me, and he said, whoa, 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 don't freak out on me, man. And I remember and I remember hearing that. I remember hearing that and thinking, yeah, why? Your number. I was thinking, why does he think I'm freaking out? I'm having a great time. What's the matter? What's, what's his deal? And I can only imagine what I must have been doing. I don't remember. I just remember him telling me that and me thinking, what? I'm not freaking out. I'm having a great time. Are you guys uh, watching Spanglish? Because <laughs> then everything makes sense. That's true. Uh, but I just I love that moment when Ron Eldard there's a there's a great coked out scene that uh, that happens in the movie that just reminds me of that and and what it comes down to is this pick for me uh, so so Rhodey is a sad you can't go home again midlife crisis movie with a classic rock touchstone and not a, a whiff of sentimentality yeah. uh, and, and so for me personally Rhodey is my this is forty. So I saw This is 40, which had some great part in it, but it's very sentimental. At times, it could be – you could look at This is 40 as a three-hour episode of Modern Family, for instance. Uh, and, I, and I look at This is 40, and I thought a lot of Dingus, too. Like, This is 40 is about a guy and his wife and, their, their, and, and their kids. Uh, and it's very much a, a movie for people who have families who are 40. Uh, Rhodey is about people who are 40 who don't have families, basically. Um yes. Us, exactly. We're roadies. Uh, And furthermore, Ron Eldard always struck me as a a glib TV actor. Like, I never really, I I liked him in certain things, but he never really worked for me. But he shows real depth in in roadie, and I really just like watching him perform in it. Uh, Also, I'd never seen an actress named Jill Hennessy before. She's just amazing in this. Good Lord, she blew me away. Um, so, and, and one of my favorite things about Rhodey, I would say it's my favorite m- use of music in a movie this year. Uh, and that's even considering the awesome soundtracks for like Beasts of the Southern Wild, Moonrise Kingdom. We talked about Pitch Perfect. Uh, the way it uses m- music to tap so thoroughly into the main character's state of mind, uh, I just think it's so well done. So, so there you go. My number eight was Rhodey. Dingus, I know you enjoyed it as well. Kelly Wand, uh, after you see Pitch Perfect, see Rhodey. Mm. You're thinking about it. All right. <laughs> I, I love, I love Rhodey. I, I totally forgot that we could include it this year. It's, it's such a great pick, and it, and I'm surprised you didn't bring up Young Adult when you were talking about it. Oh, well, because I'd sooner Ew. forget Young Adult. Yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't hate Young Adult as much as Kelly Wan, and Young Adult does like if you Ugh. if you if you really. Uh, if you really enjoy watching Shirley's Theron act, which I do, Young Adult does have something to recommend it. Right. Uh, so, I, and, and it just seems like, as, as I think we've said on the podcast before, Rhodey is what Young Adult was trying to do. Uh, right. Exactly. Because uh, because uh, Young Adult gets uh, melodramatic and, oh, and God, crazy, yeah. and uh, and people were just nuts about it last year. And then you go and see Rhodey, and you go, oh, right. Well, that's what. Yeah. My list is top-heavy with one-word titles, so I should have seen it. 
Oh, there's still time. It's not. It, they did not cancel at Kelly Wand. It's still available to be. No, but it can't make my list, and then I'm screwed forever because I didn't see every movie you saw. Well, speaking of uh, movies that many of us didn't see, Dingus, what was your number five pick for the year 2012? You jerk. <laughs> Why am I a jerk for watching this movie? When did you see this, jerk? Is, did Midnight Run get remade? <laughs> yes, it was remade, and it was uh, in something called uh, Midnight Run. It was called um, Rust and Bone. Uh, I know, I know, Kelly Wand, right? Yeah, I, I know, right? <laughs> this- All right, this this is weird. Uh, it's just something that I stumbled upon, and I actually watched it. Uh, and one of the things I did with with my list was was write down. Um, the day I watched each of these movies, and I didn't say that about the the first two I talked about, but uh, I watched Rust and Bone on uh, today. And um, there is generally a movie that sneaks into the list at the last minute, and this one bumped something else off. Uh, and I'll be happy to talk about that later if we are interested in talking about that. But uh, but uh, the, the quote from uh, Rust and Bone that I would include is, you think this is a normal conversation? And I don't know, I don't know what to say about this, because neither of you have seen this movie, right? Correct. Do, I, do you guys know anything about it? It's the guy that did A Prophet, which I've also never seen, so I'm, right. I'm, two, I'm two movies behind. Right, it's, it's a guy named Jacques Audiard, and uh, it was written by him. Um, and, jeez, uh, what do I say about it? Uh, let me just say that um, the thing that I l- truly love about this, so one of the things that I do when, I, when we talk about this list is I talk about uh, a favorite quote from the movie. I talk about... Uh, like a best miscellaneous thing that happens in the movie and, a, and, a, and an image that I love and then why the movie is special to me. Um, this had one of my favorite moments where uh, a tooth is knocked out and goes spinning on the ground. And there's two of those on my list. Um, and it also, <laughs> <laughs> I know what? it also has uh, a beautiful weird moment with uh, an orca in it. Um, so, which don't, they don't have teeth, right? Yeah, they, they have plenty of teeth. Uh, orcas, orcas are known for their teeth. So, so why it's special is Marianne Cotillard. Um, one, of the, one of the extra categories I considered for uh, for an Oscar, like if I could give an Oscar for a weird category that we'll talk about later, is, is how to make a beautiful woman look ugly without it being obvious that you're making a beautiful woman look ugly. Um, like, uh, like in being John Malkovich, it's clear that the actress they make look ugly. They could have gotten another actress. No, no, Dingus, she has, she has glasses on. That's a good point. They put glasses on her and frump her hair up. But, uh, but Ma- uh, Marion Cotillard, the makeup in this and the, the hair stuff in this is phenomenal. She's perfect. And she is a gorgeous woman. But, but beyond that, she is just fantastic in this movie and the rest of it's 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 weird it's got a weird balance to it it's kind of a little off kilter uh but there's there's just a wonderful strange ugly destructive father and son thing that goes on and and this wonderful thing that happens with her and uh you know i'm i'm being completely 
oblique and weird about this because I hope you guys will see it. Um, so I'm not saying a whole lot about it. I'm not trying to resolve the plot or talk about the plot at all because the things that happen in it are weird and unexpected, and I didn't know a thing about it. So I don't even want to give – you know, don't even read the little synopsis that's on IMDb. Don't. Uh it's not perfect by any means. It gets it's weird, but it's just got so many great little things about it. Um, I love the way this movie goes. So yeah, Rust and Bone. All right, Dingus, tell us then about your number three pick for the year 2012. You're the only one with this on your list. Although I will say this, I think it's okay to mention this. We're also going to mention at the end our most surprising and our most disappointing movies. Dingus's number three pick for the year was also my most surprising movie of the year. So Dingus, what did you choose for your number three? So my number three is a movie called End of Watch. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kelly, did you ever see End of Watch? No, it's that training that. day kind of thing, right? Not really. <laughs> or is it the one with Jonah Hill and Richard? It's, it's training day in that there's cops in it, yeah. <laughs> End of Watch parts. Wait, it's about cops. Uh, so it's training day, but they're both white? <laughs> Oh boy! Uh, this is my, this is my other Anna Kendrick movie. Oh. did you just what just Wait. happened? Kelly Wan, do you know how uh, I keep wanting to call her Amanda Donahue? That's not right. Who's the chicken Blair Witch Project? Dad Gummit. Heather. Heather Donahue. Thank you. Uh, you know how Heather Donahue does a little confessional to the camera in Blair Witch Project. Anna yeah. Kendrick. Anna Kendrick has one of those in End of Watch. <laughs> as Flemmy or it's pretty from the same uh... alright Dingus so why is this your number three tell us, uh, give, All right, us so... give us a quote from it and what's a favorite thing in it so my quote from it uh, there's a lot of great quotes in it from there this really but the, one I, the one I lifted out of it is I just didn't feel like killing anyone tonight um, and my my best little miscellaneous moment from it is there's this great and this is sort of reminiscent of uh, Pitch Perfect, but it, there's this great wedding dance where the bride and groom do uh, <laughs> a little dance to Salt and Peppa's Push It. Um, <laughs> and the, the, the image is is uh, is Anna Kendrick. She one of the wonderful things about End of Watch is that it messes around with, and I'm glad Tom just brought up Blair Witch, because it messes around with this found footage thing that is becoming so tired. And when you first start watching End of Watch, you think, are we watching, are, is this going to be a found footage thing? Because um, Jake Gyllenhaal's character is carrying a camera around with him, and he's making a movie, and he's talking about having to edit out the cursing in it. And you see the cop cameras from the the the, uh, the car, and then they just abandon that. And it's clear that that's not the intent, but we're going to use that footage, and we're going to play with it. But this is just a movie that we're watching, but we're going to play with some of that found footage stuff, because that's what the director is going to use to cut it in. And I was... I really objected to, and I apologize if this is on anybody's list, but I really objected to Chronicle, because I don't feel that Chronicle ever understood that we need to make a distinction or tell you why you're watching what you're watching. If we're going to just do a found footage thing, then in my opinion, you have to tell me who edited this and why we're watching it or give me some justification for this just uh, falling in my lap. Uh, and End of Watch doesn't bother with that. It starts out with this 
sort of sensibility and then it abandons that and goes into this wonderful relationship between these two cops and you're with them in the car all the time and whenever i think about this movie i just i just immediately wind up there in the car with the two of them talking the the relationship between these two characters and their and their families that develop is phenomenal And, and it goes into a couple of great action sequences and this sort of almost butch and sundance thing that develops but beyond that it's the relationship between between the two of them and the way the director structures that character relationship is just freaking phenomenal so there's this moment where anna anna kendrick's character finds his camera and finds his gun and talks about his gun and i love that moment where she says well maybe this could be our second date um so that's another moment i love so end of watch totally surprised me i did not expect i actually went to see this movie when uh, i went to the movie i went to the movies with my family and they went to see i think god what was the either they went to see frankenweenie or hotel transylvania one of those movies and i got let <laughs> off the hook and i got to go see end of watch and i sat there and just it's one of those movies where i sat there going or when are you going to mess it up and they never did yeah, it, it really does. It really is all about the, the – you can have the most stupid pedestrian action movie, but as long as the leads have this much chemistry, you can get away with almost anything. Uh, and that's kind of my feeling about End of Watch. Although, uh, you know, that found footage thing I think adds a lot of – adds a lot to the action sequences. It gives it almost this kind of video game uh, energy, um, which I really appreciated. Uh, but mainly uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, Michael Pena. Uh, or just yeah, very good. Michael Pena, who is who is so terrible, unfortunately, in that 30 Minutes or Less movie we saw last year. And he's so great in this. Yeah, it just really shows you, you know, it, and it, it it's it's not that he's great because he's a Daniel Day-Lewis. He's great because he and Jake Gyllenhaal just get along so well, and they're just riffing on each other so much. And there's a great sense of listening and interplay and banter, and, and they just create a sense of history. Like, yeah, this is this is these are two guys who are really good friends, and they really get along, and they're fun to be around. Uh, and a lot of times, that's all a movie needs. You give that into in, a movie, and everything else will just fall into place. And I think that's what happens with End of Watch. That's how you and I are kind of, huh, Tom? Exactly, Kelly Wand. For the listeners. Wait, wait. Uh, is it Anna Kendrick's Tooth that comes out? Tingus? Yes. Uh, out of uh, it's. <laughs> I was trying to think of a, a dentata. Never mind. I can't do it. Uh, no, uh, Kelly Wand. Anna Kendrick does not uh, lose a tooth. I think that was the last movie he was talking about. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right. The uh, next on our list, Dingus did not include this on his list. Kelly Wand, it's your, it's my number nine choice for the year, and I was as uh, surprised as anyone it would be on a top ten list for me. It was your number five choice of the year. Why don't you tell us? Because you ranked it higher. Why did you pick? What did you pick for your number five choice, and why? Oh, Skyfall is not on Dingus's list. He sounded so horny for it when we saw it. I'm surprised. I, I was uh, extremely horny for it, but. Um... The uh, the rust and bone uh, knocked Skyfall off. Oh. Uh, 
was the question. How is it? <laughs> uh, well, I, for me, Skyfall, what, what made it work so well, uh, I think its greatest feat was making me care about a character that I had not given two nickels for for about 30 years. When I was a kid, I was like, yeah, James Bond. But I could not have cared less about James Bond as I got older. Skyfall, so it made me care about the character and the background. And uh, I I love the overall structure of it. You know, it's one of these. There have been a few of these this year. A few, like, two, almost almost three-hour-long action movies. The Avengers was another one. Uh, Skyfall is one of them. That I feel like every moment was – I was – fine with it being that long uh so i loved the overall structure i loved most of their performances i really really liked the villain uh unlike most james bond movies i liked the scheme that james bond had to foil you know most of those are dumb things like we're going to use the moon as a as a mirror to bounce a laser off into saudi arabia (laughs) and therefore control the world's oil supply i'm like what okay whatever i love the scheme here um i had a question about that the scheme here, I think, it's the stuff of, of Greek mythology and modern psychotherapy, by the way. Uh, and nice. I like that. Uh, and I love the resolution. Uh, and also, finally, I would say it is the best-looking movie this year that had no need to look that good. <laughs> I mean, good Lord. And in, on so many levels, Skyfall was so sexy. God, it's such a sexy movie. It turns me on just hearing you guys talk about it. Oh, and it was really it was really hard not to uh, not to <laughs> include it on my list cuz it is there's so many moments and it, it you know we there's there's I was reading the thread where people are complaining about I don't understand what there is to complain about it because as far as James Bond movies are concerned I think it's it's perfect. I I, I just you know it's not even on my list that I'm gushing about. It. I just love how freaking sexy it is. Dingus, I can see your toner. Yeah, yeah, that's not a thing. Uh, All right, Kelly, what? Wait, wait. I was going to say, you're talking about, when you say the MacGuffin's good, you're not talking about the knock list where they're exposing the agents. No, one of the great things about it is that the MacGuffin doesn't matter. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, we can get into Uh, discussion of MacGuffin, but what the MacGuffin ends up being, like what the good guy wants, what the bad guy wants, uh, all of that doesn't matter. It it all comes down to the villain's plot, so to speak. Um, and that's what I'm talking about. You know, James Bond villains really do stupid things for the most part that are implausible and make no sense to me. What this James Bond villain wants to do, I understand, and I love that the movie was about that. And it was a good matchup, too, because most of his villains are fucking idiots. But this was like, hey, it was felt like an actual James Bond movie for the first time since I was a kid, almost. It felt like a vintage one. And it was like, uh, it's like gay James Bond versus straight James Bond. So it's like... You know, uh, it's gonna... Kelly Wand, what this makes you, what makes you think this is my first time? <laughs> uh, but one of my favorite moments from the movie, by the way, was uh, what, and this isn't a spoiler. One of my favorite moments in Skyfall is that the act of turning on the lights in a dark garage to reveal a car, uh, and, and just that moment. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about, and you know how much it says about what Skyfall does. Uh, eh, I don't know. I was a little iffy on that. Because it seemed like product place. Well, you know, we could listen to the podcast, by the way, uh, if you want to hear us talk more specifically about Skyfall. Um, nice. But so, so Kelly Wand, that was your number five movie for the. Oh, movie. I wanted one last thing. It's like, sure, they are doing that thing where uh, the agents are being exposed, the undercover agents, so they're killing them. But it's like James Bond never is undercover. He just says he's James James Bond. He never has an alias. Like, is he the only one that does that? Usually I just sort of tune that out because it's like he's the only one who – he's the exception. 
but it was like a MacGuffin in the movie. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll go with that. Thank you, Tom. Back to what you're saying. <laughs> uh, all right. So the next movie uh, on the list, Kelly uh, Dingus, you rated this as your number nine pick for the year. I think we all like this movie. However, Kelly Wand, it was your third favorite movie of the year. Why don't you tell us what you picked and why you picked it? Ah, uh, Goon. Tom, Dingus went number nine on it. Uh, it was a movie where I, I really fell in love with the main character. I really liked that guy. He kind of cheered me up. He was inspiring. And so, he was a dumbass. It's like, you don't need to be smart to be good. That's the <laughs> lesson of Goon. Kelly Wan, you are now officially a William Sean Scott Penn yeah, fan, aren't you? I am a fan. I have a man crush on two dudes in my top ten list. I guess William Sean Scott's one of them. But it's like, uh, it also gets into the nature of what integrity is. So I like that. It's like it's mm-hmm. like he's he's smart in weird ways. He's like he, the guy steals his speech, but that makes him just feel proud. That's kind of cute. I like that man. Mm-hmm. That was that chick from Scott Pilgrim, though. You said, remember? Uh, the the uh, the chick from the thing and Scott Pilgrim whose name escapes me now Dingus who was the the romantic interest in Goon help me out Mary Elizabeth Winstead no, am I right I'm about glad that I could help it's Nelson Pill damn <laughs> they look similar in my defense you get those two girls mixed up <laughs> uh, she's the one that played uh, Zelda Fitzgerald right uh, yeah I could see that I can see what you're saying Tom. Yeah. They're both in uh, Jules Verne during Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> uh, I do, yes. Uh, all right, so uh, Dingus, why was this your number nine pick? And, and give us a quote and a favorite moment from it. So, Tom, what, what would uh, what would my quote be from this movie? Would it be about a funny number? No, I know what it would be. Go ahead. It's loopy. Right? No, no, that's that's my favorite like miscellaneous thing. Did you draw that? And it's... Mis- <laughs> forgot about that there's so many that's the thing there's so He's many good li- yeah there's so many good lines and moments in mm-hmm. goon it's full of them so i can't pick any one they come out of nowhere they're really not predictable and they're not really there's no point to any of them and i, I like that so which did you pick dingus uh well the, the miscellaneous moment is is that loopy the wolf moment but my my quote is hey i'll light your ass back up on fire <laughs> that. Lovely. that's what we Wait, he says that to uh what's his name the guy he, says, he says it to what's his name it's just and tom pointed this out during the podcast is this the great you know i'm gonna try to talk trash to you and this is his best this uh, is the best i can do hey i'll let your ass back up on i fire. love terrible comeback it's like a Kristen wiggs mcgruber thing too it's like exactly kelly wand exactly yeah uh, so this is it was directed by michael douse and it was written by jerry jay baruchel and evan goldberg um I just, I, you know, white specialist, and I'm going to say his name properly since you jerks refuse to. It's Sean William Scott. Pen. And um, <laughs> stop it. Stop appending names to him. Get it? <laughs> he, he he has no respect anyway. It's Sean William Scott. Stop. No, no wait, wait, wait. So we're allowed to make jokes. He's a, and so, by the way, I've given him respect. I've given this guy respect way back when for that, uh, the guy that did uh, Southland Tales. And, Tom liked uh, him in Mr. Woodcock. Mr. Mentioning that he was in Southland Tales is not a sign of respect. Rundown. I even liked him in Rundown with whoever else was in that. So I never considered uh, him a good actor till Goon. But playing dumb's hard, and he, he's and I never found him as cute. Like I wanted to just hang out with him and go. It's it's fine, man. Punch <laughs> him harder. 
Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I described his his performance as as this mixture. Of, it, it's just beautiful earnestness. I mean, he is. Uh, I, I love this performance so much, uh, and I couldn't. Le- I could not leave Goon off my list because I was so taken by how committed he is to to creating this character and how little respect Sean William Scott gets as an actor because he, he's got a specific set of skills and he, he's a goofy guy, but he, he totally brings him in this. And this is a, this is a performance that should get uh, an Academy Award nomination in, in, in my estimation, because this type of comic performance uh, that, that never winks at the camera and, is is totally committed and he's just so earnest and so beautiful i mean he's he's as good as i, I know this will be heresy but he's as good as peter Sell, peter sellers in being there as far as i'm he's he's just he's um, just right there and it might work it, you know I, I think the movie works because of him. The the, the writing is yeah. wonderful. It might have worked with somebody else maybe, but you could totally see the movie going off the rails if they had put the wrong person in this part and and i love the way he he plays this and the movie works because of him and and everything else around him of course works uh jay baruchel is hilarious alison pill is great all the supporting cast is wonderful i don't think there's a weak link in the movie it's it's beautiful and and i think uh, no i saw it on april 7th of 2012 and i i pretty much knew that it was going to wind up on the list because i was so taken with his performance it does a really good job too with the team like making the different distinct yeah. joke jokey i mean they're kind of just joke characters but i really liked some of those guys i really liked some of the jokes they did with the team guys uh yeah and and certainly uh the dynamics of a team like it's yeah. something you've seen so many times but somehow goon made it feel new so dingus you don't think it would have worked if maybe say like Seth Rogen was in the lead. Well, it's <laughs> Tom. What I joked about at the time we saw it was uh, sticking Jim Carrey in the part. Um, so and then, uh, and then I messed around with the idea of putting Tom Hardy into the part and making it uh, because he's really good at comedy as well. But it would have been sort of a harder movie, right? And I just think Sean William Scott strikes the the perfect balance. Yeah, yeah. It's hard for me to picture anyone else as that character. And when I think of that actor now, I think of that movie. It's now his signature role. Stifler. All right, so uh, next up we have a movie that Kelly Wan did not put on his list. So, Kelly Wan, get ready for this. This is for you. Uh, Dingus, your number seven pick was my fifth favorite movie of the year, so I get to mention it first. Uh, The line from it, Kelly Wan, in what movie is this line occur? Ready? (laughs) You're going to die. That's what's happening. And here's one of my favorite, there's many little favorite things, but here's a favorite moment from it that I mentioned on the podcast that you guys didn't catch. I watched it again, and I just love this little moment. Imagine you're getting on an airplane, and someone's taking your boarding passes, and now imagine the person who's (laughs) taking your boarding passes says, you guys are fucking this up, let's go. (laughs) Love that. I just love that. Uh, Oh, great. So this is The Gray, which uh, is is not... uh, a mere, and I think this sort of gets to why maybe Kelly Wan didn't like it. The Gray is not just a disaster survival movie like The Impossible or Flight or something like that. The Gray is a movie 
about men struggling with mortality. Men, dudes. Like a lot of times we talk about movies and we talk about how much they really benefit from female energy. The gray could not care less. I mean, women figure into what, what these men care about, but this movie is about men struggling with the fact that they're going to die. And it's the sort of part that Liam Neeson just does perfectly. He's so gruff and and, and, and glum and weathered in this, and his hands are, are flat and broad, and he just he, the lines in his face are amazing. Um, it's beautifully shot. I love how it unfolds in terms of what happens to the survivors. And I think, this isn't a spoiler, but I think contrary to complaints from people who wanted an action movie, it has as perfect an ending as you could hope for. Uh, and I love the fact that Joe Carnahan gave people the movies A-Team and Smoking Aces, and then he deprived them of what they got in those movies when he gave them the gray. <laughs> You're not in those movies either. <laughs> so uh, that, that's my number five favorite movie for the year. Uh, Dingus, why, why was this on your list? Uh, for what you just said. Oh, uh, God, give I us, love give this us, movie so much. Give it, us a it, quote it, and a favorite little thing, by the way. All right, the, the quote I would use is, they're flanking us. Uh. <laughs> uh, the other quote I would give is, uh. <laughs> so uh, the, the image I love from this, and I, uh, I'm so happy that, you, that this is on your list, Tom, um, is there's this moment where a blood soaks a footprint. And you just see the blood soaking into the snow. Yeah. Uh, I love that image. Uh, but my... One of my favorite moments is something that I've seen people complain about is how Joe Carnahan handles the rope cross. And this is something I tried to convey when we were talking about it, and I just couldn't – I don't know if I could get it across. Is that you've seen that happen time and again, that this suspenseful – all the characters have to get across this precarious – area this is this bridge that's going to give out or a rope that's going to break or whatever and so we have that moment happen in this movie but instead of focusing on every single character getting across and trying to build tension through every single character getting across until the ultimate character gets across we focus on one character who's dealing with something as other characters are doing that rope cross in the background and i just love that that for me is the whole idea of this movie. It's about, as Tom just said, it's about its existential struggle. It's about what we're dealing with as far as survival is concerned and what life really means as action is going on in the background. I'm just crazy about this movie, and it looks so gorgeous. It's it's shot by somebody named Masanabu Taka, Takayanagi. I'm sorry. And I just, I'm so crazy about how it's shot because it's really hard to shoot a movie to look this good in dark and that much blinding snow. Um, And it's just, it's well written and it's well paced and it focuses on exactly the right thing and it ends at exactly the right moment. Ah, so there, Kelly Wand. Can I say something? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I don't know. We we instead, Kelly Wand, are going to go to... No, no, I guess four words. Okay. Make, make a better rope. Okay. <laughs> Kelly Wand, now let's go to uh, a movie that I'm pretty sure Dingus and I have not seen and that you decided was your favorite movie of the year. I'm yeah. Not con- I'm not convinced. <laughs> and I... And I think it's uh, I think you're pulling a little bit of a King's speech or no uh, not King's speech. Uh, what was? Oh yeah, it was King's speech. Yeah, it seems like you're pulling one of those on us. Uh, or that that or a Lake Mungo. <laughs> Kelly, yeah, Kelly Wand, what was your number one, your favorite movie 
of 2012. Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah! Woo! Greatest movie of 2012, according to Kelly Wan. Okay. It was really good. Well, I don't want to spoil it because you didn't see it. Well, no, you can tell us things like why you thought it was really good, what made it special for you, obviously. It's a really good Jennifer Lawrence performance in it. Mm -hmm. And one by her can. But... I think I've got a Bradley Cooper man crush. Like, I like even his bad movies. Like, would you consider the worst? And not that this is one of them, but like, remember when I was a Limitless apologist? Did you ever see that one? No, I liked Limitless. I think we both share a fondness for Limitless. Kelly Wand, I I would be surprised at anyone who does not have a Bradley Cooper man crush. If that makes you feel any better. But David Russell, I don't know, maybe it was, uh, I was in the mood for it at the time. But um, it was a good movie. It's good writing. Go see it. <laughs> okay. That's why I liked it. It's the number one movie. So they should make. They should just instead of doing trailers, they should just have you talk about the movie. <laughs> I think it's where I look for things that I don't like in a movie, and then at the end, my numberator calculates them, and then if it's low, I go, okay, that's the best movie. And so, Silver Lang's Playbook had the least things I thought were dumb of my list. Huh. Okay. Good. Uh, Kelly, wanted, hey, if you want to bet that's his number one movie? So yeah. he claims, yes. I'm not. I'm still not convinced, but he does claim it is. Uh, All right, Kelly, want a case for it. If you want to be a, a Bradley <laughs> Cooper completionist, I have two recommendations for you. Um, one of them is he's. Do you know he's the villain in a movie called uh, Hit and Run that came out in, last year? Ah, no, I didn't know that. All right, he's he's kind of the weak link in the movie, but it's kind of funny to see him being the the ruthless villain. Uh, so I recommend that. And and there's also a, a found footage kind of horror movie from 2002 called My Little Eye. My Little Eye. Uh, he's in that. Yeah, yeah, he shows up. I don't want to say much. I don't want to say anything about his appearance because it's a really surprising part of the movie. But uh, if you want to, if you want to round out your Bradley Cooper experience, so to speak, uh, be sure to check out Hit and Run and My Little Eye. Huh. So there you go. Uh, all right. So you think Dingus and I then should see this? Uh, you're, you're recommending it to us. I think Dingus will like it, and you'll go overrated wand. <laughs> Because <laughs> that's how I talk. But I thought Dingus had seen it too, and he was going to back me up on it. So Dingus, you're going to back back him up on this. I, I do like Bradley Cooper. He's no Simon Baker, but I like him a lot. <laughs> but David uh, Russell, what was his, for the fighter? The fighter was the last thing he did. Yeah. Did you ever see that one? No, I'm way behind on my David O. Russell. Oh, see, I, feel I like saw I the fighter. I... It did, it didn't do it for me. You didn't like Amy Adams' character? I like that. Yeah, I, I liked her character fine, but I didn't care for the movie. Yeah, Chris, not you, not you, not you. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, Kelly Wan's favorite movie for 2012, so Silver Linings Playbook. Playbook. You heard me. Good. All right. Feel good movie. Oh, and I took it by a chance. There's a picture of a cloud right before I saw it with Silver Lining by accident before I even knew it was my favorite movie. Now that's kismet, Kelly Wand. Don't patronize me. <laughs> uh, speaking, speaking of patronizing, Kelly Wand, Dingus and I are now about to tell you about our seventh and fourth favorite movie of the year. I was pretty sure it was going to be on both of our lists, and I, I just was struggling with where to, to fit it in. For me, it was my seventh favorite movie of the year. Dingus, it made it into his top five, his fourth favorite movie of the year. Dingus, what is it? Give us a, a line and a favorite moment. <laughs> All right. Uh, the, the line would be, I do. I understand that reference. <laughs> and that's after someone said something about flying monkeys. Uh, absolutely, it is. 
the watch. And what's a what's a favorite moment from the movie, Dingus? Uh, geez, I would say my favorite moment when Hulk uh, slams Loki uh, when God. Loki is talking about you know I'm a god and. Oh! <laughs> there's That's so many moment. there's so many great moments one of mine was uh kelly wand thinking that captain america had had, had tipped had given nick fury a tip when he gets <laughs> when he boards the helicopter <laughs> when he He's gets from the, the 40s racism was okay because we were at war with uh, other races all right so we're talking about the avengers dingus why was this your fourth favorite movie of the year Ugh. <laughs> Because I, was, I would hear Kelly one say, uh, because it totally broke my, okay. So first of all, Tom, uh, I'm about to give you a little bit of a gift. Uh, what has been your contention, uh, about the Avengers as far as my life is concerned? Ah, that you need to share it with your son by golly. And by golly, when preparing my list, I decided to sit down and watch it with him. Okay. Now that you had some reservations that maybe, uh, some of the, the dire things that happen. We don't want to spoil. No, we can spoil it. Everybody's seen yeah. it. It, d- it doesn't make four hundred sixty-eight million dollars without everybody seeing it. What dire so, things? Happen? So how did how did your son respond to the Avengers, Dingus? He he loved it. And what was amazing, you know, what I was nervous about is one one of my favorite characters gets killed in it, and I was really sad about that. And I remembered it being much bloodier than it actually is because I guess your brain bloods things up when you read about this. <laughs> and I was worried about some of the sexuality, which is totally it. not. And, and Tom poo-pooed these, uh, these objections or these concerns I had, and for good reason. Uh, because when you, when you show a movie to an eight-year-old for the first time that he claims every one of his friends have seen, you <laughs> front load him about Agent Coulson or whoever. You, you talk about the things that's going to happen. And you help him get through that. And What's cool is because he's getting to know comic books much better than I did as a kid, and because there's so many ancillary little animated shows about the Avengers or about the X-Men or about whatever, he knows all of their names. So there's this moment where somebody says, where's Agent Barton? Oh, he's up in his hawk's nest. He goes, Agent Barton? Is that Clint Barton? Oh, that must be Hawk. (laughs) I mean... He knows everybody's name. He's Johnny on the spot with that. And and when you're watching it on uh, a DVD, you can constantly stop and talk about things. But he freaking loved it, and it was a great experience watching it with him. But but I also got to watch it the first time I watched it in a movie theater uh, with Tom when it was uh, the opening weekend, and it was just such it's such a great experience. And it the reason it's number four on my list is because it broke. All my expectations. We were so... I was so nervous going in. God, that's right. I, for, I, I forget that there was a time where we'd seen the trailer and we are like, oh, God, that Avengers movie is going to be awful. I forget about that. <laughs> but, but the thing that I constantly go back to is what you said, is that there, there are all these different properties, and, and Tom's uh, way of putting this was that it's a bulldozer just shoving all of these things into one big mass. And I thought there was no way... All of these major actors and characters would get their due, and somehow they found a way 
for every character to get a moment and to get their due and for it all to be this cohesive whole, have great action sequences and not feel like it was a frenzy of action, but still feel like it was characters talking. There's so many great lines in it. And you watch it again. It's so exciting to watch. And it's paced perfectly. The Avengers, ah, yeah, so yeah. It's, it, it really is amazing to me that it is, you know, it's a nearly three hour long movie and it is absolutely crammed with characters and business, but there's not a wasted line, not a wasted scene, not a weak performance, by the way. Uh, and I think that's Kelly Wan. You, you mentioned Cabin in the Woods is like a Joss Whedon thing. I really think that's what Joss Whedon has learned to do. And that's what he has given this, you know, after years of doing stuff with like Buffy and the fire fly thing uh i think he's just really in tune with how to be generous with well-written characters and give them the attention they need um and that so shines through in the avengers so here's what i want to say too about the avengers um i i we are all fans of of the the dark knight christopher nolan's batman movie um but one of the things that really I liked about Dark Knight is that it wasn't, to me, a superhero movie. I mean, it was about a superhero, but I didn't think of it as a superhero movie. To me, Dark Knight is this modern American Greek tragedy kind of about – it's about chaos. Um, And I I love watching Dark Knight as that. It's almost like mythic and it's larger than life. And the fact that a superhero is in it, I couldn't care less. But uh, Avengers is a flat-out comic book superhero movie – through and through, and it demonstrates that a, that a superhero movie can work for a guy like me who's not into that kind of stuff, that it doesn't have to be ashamed of men in tights and masks and, and goofy technobabble MacGuffins and bright colors and, and snappy one-liners, that, that a superhero movie can have all of that comic book stuff and still be fanta- a fantastic cinematic experience. Um, so that, that's one of the reasons that I really appreciated it. I was, I used to feel, you know what? Comic books are stupid. I'm not into that stuff. I don't like superheroes. Avengers showed me that I didn't know what I was talking about. All right. Well, Kelly, one. I read comics and mm-hmm. now I'm totally burned out on the comic book movies. I think these will be looked back on. Except for Amazing Spider-Man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Far and away a better movie. I had no fun at the Avengers, except when the Hulk punched somebody. But the thing, too, is like when you say well-written characters, I thought they were all very indistinguishably like snarky scientist types, except for Captain America. And even he is doing what well. like they're not that different from each other. You say that, Kelly Wong, oh, but I, I didn't crazy think it was, talk. Yeah, Bruce Banner was not snarky. Uh, I, I didn't feel – I mean, the only snarky one was Tony Stark, uh, and I think the only real scientist-y one was, I, I guess, again, Tony Stark. Maybe yeah, Banner's Star a Stark. scientist, and he was all sexy and doing jokes. Just, that is not what snarky uh, means. Oh, that Kelly is was. not what's happening with and him. When you watch him in that first scene in India, he Ruffalo plays that. He's uh, he's supposed to be in India. flirting with Tony Stark in the in on the – on the ship? Oh, man. They are so good together, and they are so distinct. Nick Fury, he's an idiot. They, all, they just make a lot of bad calls. Seems like Nick Fury loses his base, and then he fly, flies the thing. There's no reason to fly it. Then it catches fire, so it's going to crash. But they, why didn't they just stay land? They're not even going Dingus anywhere. Said, I don't There's know if... Dingus, I don't know if you caught this part, but Kelly Wan pointed out that, uh, that Tony Stark and David Banner have the same kind of hair. Same kind of hair. <laughs> 
Walt's always angry. Nothing makes any sense in this fucking movie. The first hour is super boring. I don't know what you guys are talking about. It's so slow. Every fucking character gets a nine-minute walk-on. All right, so, uh, Kelly Wan, your number six movie is actually, uh, this was dancing around at various spots in my top five. Uh, one of my favorite movies from last year it was my fourth favorite movie. Uh, I'm going to give you guys a line. It's actually two lines. We're all they have. It's not enough. Uh, and the movie is uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, one of my favorite little things in Moonrise Kingdom is uh, an actress named Carrie Hayward plays a character named Susie Bishop. One of my favorite moments <laughs> in, in uh, Kelly Wand. One of my favorite moments in Moon, yeah, Moonrise sorry, Kingdom Kelly. is uh, Susie Bishop taking inventory, and it is so heartbreakingly revealing, but matter of fact, uh, and it's such a great example of how this actress is so in tune with what Wes Anderson does. Uh, and I loved that about Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, he's finally made, in Moonrise Kingdom, I sort of feel, Wes Anderson, who, who has this great childlike sense of wonder with his subject matter, he's finally made a movie about childhood. Now, I realize that for some folks, uh, Rushmore is that movie as well. But to me, and Dingus and I have talked a lot about this, to, to me, there's a little bit too much adult perspective in, in Rushmore. M Max has a ad very adult perspective on the world. Uh, and in a way, it... it it's, this might be pushing it, but it's not in like a John Hughes movie where the kids are preternaturally wise. Um, so I think that kind of accounts for why I'm not as fond of Rushmore as, as Dingus is. But, but Moonrise Kingdom is so completely about children as children and the mistakes they make and, and whether or not adults should pr protect them from that. Um, it's not a particularly pat or even a tidy movie. Uh, but it is so keenly observed, it is so meticulously shot, and for the most part, it is so well acted that uh, it, it was my fourth favorite movie of the year. Kelly Wan, why your was your favorite uh, Wes Anderson movie, if I remember you saying? You still stick to that statement? So here's, here's my weird little thing about Wes Anderson. I, my favorite Wes Anderson movie is Moonrise Kingdom, but I feel that his best movie is Darjeeling Limited. I mean, I so <laughs> love uh, Royal Tenenbaums, and I have such a place in my heart for, for Bottle Rocket. Um, but Darjeeling, Darjeeling Limited just does so much really amazing stuff to me. I mean, in, in our technical perspective, there's so much great stuff in Darjeeling Limited. Um, but, yeah, I, I do feel that... At this point, Moonrise Kingdom is my favorite Wes Anderson movie. Uh, so, Kelly Wand, what, what made it uh, uh, secure a place on your list? It felt like a Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> okay. It certainly <laughs> did. Uh, by the way, I, I watched it again, and I have to... I. I wouldn't normally do this. We did. Our, I invite you to listen to our podcast if you want to hear more specifics. But I have to take back my reservations about Bruce Willis. I don't know what uh, I was thinking. So, I know. That. so the thing that I was thinking, and I realized watching it again, Bruce Willis cannot not be Bruce Willis. Now, he can be Bruce Willis of varying degrees of appropriateness to a movie, but he's still Bruce Willis. And I think I was reacting to that when I suggested that maybe Bruce Willis was a weak link. I don't believe that anymore. He's so perfect, and I love the scene with him and the boy in that movie. But he's, he's still very much Bruce Willis, but it really is great, great Bruce Willis. And I guess I feel it's up there with 12 Monkeys, just as far as a movie that really does a cool, that, that makes great use of him. And he's uh, really tapped oh, into what oh, he's doing. So happy to hear you say that. Yeah, so. Great. I think there's a point at which it kind of jumps the shark towards the end. Well, don't yeah, don't spoil anything. Okay. No, no, but I'm just saying, like, Royal Tannenbaum's Darjeeling Limited, neither of them ever jumped the shark and anything. So that's why Moonrise Kingdom probably couldn't be my favorite Wes Anderson movie. Okay. 
Um, I don't think it ever jumps the shark. Uh, I I think it's... I'm I'm loving hearing you talk about it, and I'm so happy uh, that you came around. But Bruce Willis, that makes me very, very happy. Very nice. I can't remember what his reservations were, though. Well, it really is... I I remember very well, because we went back and forth in this for a while, and he sort of... he, He allowed us... Uh, you and me to to talk about well why he kind of opened the floor to us. I, I kind of remember us talking about that and 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 uh, him saying I kind of I kind of hate him in this or this doesn't work for me at all. And I'm so happy to hear that that you got to watch it again and you came around on that. Yeah, I mean he's he, just the scene with him and oh, what's the kid's name? Dad Gummit. What's the boy's name in that? I mean Kara Hayward is so amazing. She's just flat out mesmerizing and not okay. in a Kelly Wand way. Damn what I can't. Why is it? All right. Uh, but but at any rate, the scene with him and Bruce Willis in the trailer just totally won me over. I mean, I, you know, where Bruce Willis yeah. is talking to him as an adult and, and, and gives him. He even has the most cliched line in the movie. But it's so important what he's expressing when he says the cliched line, which is, you've got your whole life ahead of you. I mean, that he's <laughs> expressing this to this boy at this moment using this cliche and that it's so heartfelt. I mean, it's just so, it's such a great little scene. I just love that encounter. Doesn't he say something like, the kid says something like, like my wife died, uh, tough shit or something. And he's like, he corrects him. Like you're supposed to say this cliche or something. Oh, well, he, he talks about uh, uh, Bruce Willis. Uh, I think Bruce Willis also says, I'm sorry for your loss when he talks about uh, losing his wife. All right, all right. Yeah. Um, That's good. See, you didn't like that the first time? Crazy. Well, no, I, I love the movie. I just really was aware, unlike watching uh, The Boy and and Kara Hayward, and I feel awful that I don't remember the boy's name. But by his the name way, is, uh, hold on. By the way, this is one of a couple of movies, we'll talk about another one in a moment, where the male actor is so hopelessly outclassed by the female yeah. actor. Yes, that's, <laughs> a, that's what I wanted to ask you, Tom, is, is if watching it's Jared something. Uh, if watching it, Isn't it Jared Gilman, I think? Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, uh, you're right. I'm sure you're right. Watching, uh, I was wondering if she can do better. Because I thought she was so great and he was a little out of class, and I wonder because I haven't seen it again. I wonder if it, that plays out. No, the second it does not. No, it, the second time it's, I'm even more keenly aware of it, just because uh, you're watching it without this sort of uh, what's going to happen next kind of suspense. So, I, and she's so completely fascinating what she's doing. Uh, he, he. I mean, he's he's fine. He does what he's supposed to do, but it's so clearly like the movie is so much more about her than it's about yeah. him. Uh, and he's, uh, you know, he's fine. I don't, I don't want to bag on the poor kid, but she's just amazing when she's doing that inventory and talking about her, her books and the batteries and the, the record player. And, and you know, she has this line about, I, I forgot a comb, but I can just brush my fingers through my hair. I mean, she's just so, oh, it's just heartbreaking watching that little sequence. And when she pulls out the book about, you know, parents dealing with troubled children and she's got the little kerfuffle with him. Uh, yeah, <laughs> she's so amazing in this. Uh he could make a fishbone comb for her if he really loved her. <laughs> well, you know that. Well, I, I don't know. listen to the podcast, and we have a lot more specifics to say about it. But uh, so that was my fourth favorite movie of the year. Where was um, it on Dingus's? Or was it? It got muscled off. Dingus had, had at least ten other movies he liked better. He's too many movies, which is fine. That's, That's fine. Now the next, the next movie is the only movie that all the only movie up to now, that all three of us had on our list. Dingus chose it as his number 10 favorite movie. It was my sixth favorite movie. Kelly Wand, tell us about your fourth favorite movie for the year. Oh, Your Sister's Sister or Hump Day? Your Sister's Sister. 
is my fourth favorite movie uh-huh. of the year. Uh, although I was see, Dingus got mad at me because I was saying Hump Day was a uh, what did I call it? Dingus got mad at me for not rookie effort. Something that didn't sound properly uh, freshman effort. I don't know what. No. Oh, I'm a lesser. Well, okay. I was just doing a little. Just you, I, I just think that. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I watched them back to back, so maybe that colored my impressions of it. Like I was sort of expecting your sister's sister to not be because that because Tom sort of foisted Hump Day on me repeatedly, and then your sister's sister sort of came up, and it was like I thought it was going to be the B side song. Like I didn't know what I was watching. This is the thing: is what where you go in naked to a movie, it's always better. It's like what you're saying about uh, not Rody. The one you said not to read the synopsis of. I should have listened to the podcast. Anyway, your sister's sister. Uh, it's got the best relationship between two women I think I've seen maybe in any movie. That's a good point, Kelly Wong, because so many movies, I mean, a lot of the movies we like have great like female characters, but just for a movie to be so grounded in the relationship between two women, that, that is kind and of And usually rare. one of them dominates in movies like that, but in not in this movie. Like, they kind of came as a set. Um, Dingus, give us a line and a favorite thing from your sister's sister. All right, uh... There's so many great lines in your sister's sister. Uh, the one I would it would choose is "I am really a bad person." Um, that's just something. It's not a it's not a line that's going to uplift anyone. But Thanks, Dingus. Let me let me then bring us around and make things a little merrier. Here's a great line from your sister's sister: "Ring the bell, just ring the bell, dude." <laughs> hey, can you do his stammer? I wish I could. I wish I could do uh, the Duplass stammer. It is an amazing piece of work. It's the but cornerstone I, of the movie, almost. It, it, you have to train years for that kind of authentic oh, stammer. Dingus, yeah. and that was one of my little favorite things. That's what I picked as a favorite moment from the movie. Dingus, what did you pick as a, a favorite moment from your sister's sister? Uh, uh, one of my favorite moments is in the very first scene where they're where uh, where they're talking in the hallway and he burps and she goes yikes <laughs> and he goes sorry <laughs> he apologizes a lot just but yikes sorry it's it's just they're in the middle of their talk and he burps Kelly what can you can you can you give us the postcoital apology. <laughs> Squealed there, sorry. And no, I want to hear it. I want to hear it because you do a great rendition of it. Do the line. <laughs> Wait, what was the first part? You did it on the podcast. The, oh, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I squealed. <laughs> Is it squealed or squeaked? I, I think he squealed. Yeah. And then it cuts to an amazing, beautiful, like Norman, not Norman Rockwell, uh, Ansel Adams. I don't know. There's just this beautiful shot of the lake right after that. So it's like the last line you hear before that shot. It's really awesome. We should do a transition through by three. Uh, so I think uh, Lynn Shelton realizes, and I thought about whether or not to express it this way, but I think I'm going to go with this. Lynn Shelton realizes better than any other director working right now that I could think of how much drama you can wring from people just talking. Yeah. Uh, and it's such a, and it's not like, hey, it's a stage play and we're going to film it. Because it's not. I mean, that's not what she's doing here. It's not like, you know, like uh, like Killer Joe is clearly a stage play adapted to film. Lynn Shelton, that's not what she's doing. She's a filmmaker and it shows. And, and she just relies so much on just the act of people having a conversation. Um, and I love how much she leans 
on her actors. There's such an incredible sort of a trust and mutual support system going on there. Uh, and specifically, these two tremendous female performances from Rosemary DeWitt and, and Emily Blunt, who, as you mentioned, Kelly, one, you know, it's not that either one or the other is more dominant. They're just very different. They're very distinct characters. And both of those actresses are just so good. So I would say there's no, there's no other movie this year where I enjoyed, I think, the performances, just the, the act of acting, as much as I did in Your Sister's Sister. I th- that thing you said about talking, I really liked. And I, I think I'm, I really gravitate to movies where things go wrong and only through dialogue. Like Closer is like that, and Fortnite with Disaster is kind of like that. Things just keep getting worse just because people can't shut up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is endlessly fascinating to me. But yes, everything else you said was correct, too. <laughs> uh, all right, so... Uh, that, Bumblecore. That, that, you know what? Oh, did, oh, God, I meant to bring this up on the podcast. Yeah. I hate, Kelly Wand, that, that Lynn Shelton's is, work is described as mumblecore. Yeah, I don't yeah, get that. Too. Because it's, it's not mumblecore. What's mumbly about it? Exactly. Why do we call naturalistic speech mumblecore? <laughs> you yeah. know, that that just drives me crazy. Because there are mumblecore movies. You know, there are movies where the characters aren't articulate and you can't really see what they're hear what they're saying. Uh, it downplays the dialogue. Dialogue is incredibly, yeah. inc- incredibly crucial in, in the two movies that I've seen that Lynn Shelton has done. Yeah. And nobody's mumbling. They're just speaking no. realistically. So That's what makes them good. Yeah. It's the opposite of mumbling. And it also implies it tars with the same brush this whole genre of movies, even though she's she's an original artist. Yeah. So it's a stupid term, I think. So so everyone out there listening, fuck you, mumblecore apologists. That's right. Stop saying mumblecore. Stop saying that. So so we talked about with Moonrise the um, uh, male versus female casting thing. Can we talk about that a little bit here? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, do you think that? That uh, what what I love about I mean I love Mark Duplass I think he's great. Oh, I keep uh, thinking of Jay. I, I confuse them now. I, uh, I like him more than you guys do because he's got it. Because you need you need that light. Like if he was his, if he had the same kind of gravitas, they did be a different kind of movie. It's that he's kind of in the middle of, of he's out of his depth. Like he's that kind of character. Like it, it matches the situation. That, well, I'm that, really glad you said that, uh, Kelly, because that that's kind of what I was wondering is is that there's an element of loyalty in that she brings him along from Hump Day into him. You know, she she gets more money here. She gets far better actresses here. Not to denigrate the actress in uh, Hump Day, who I thought was fine, um, but but Rosemary DeWitt and Emily Blunt are. I mean, these are heavy hitters, and Mark Duplass is. Clearly, as as I talked about when we talked about this movie, punching out of his his weight class, but is that it, it's? I think it helps the movie. Does she did she write the movie with that in mind? I mean, what's it's cool like, about it is that she she brings him along, but he's perfect for the movie nonetheless. Yeah. It's the alchemy of just sometimes it's just it, you just get lucky. And I think go ahead, Kelly. I was just gonna say, like she did. Apparently, she she's very, very. Her scripts are very loose, and like they improvise. Like what you said, like it's, she does leave a lot to the actors. And I think in this instance, it was more like she knew his zone better. Yeah, um, and I think he. We did talk about it on the podcast, but I, I think it's 
it's a huge part of who that character is to the action as well. Uh, right. he, he definitely, the character is punching out of his weight class as well as the actor. Right. Uh, and I, I don't feel that's necessarily the case in Moonrise Kingdom. Whereas if, if Jared Gilman had had a little bit of that early, um, uh, why I'm, oh, Jason Schwartzman to him. Like Jason Schwartzman is such uh, a revelation. He is so powerful in Rushmore that if Jared Gilman, that, that little boy in Moonrise Kingdom, had, had been like a Jason Schwartzman, I think that's what Wes Anderson was really going for. He didn't quite achievement. Jared Gilman is fine. Uh, but, you know, he couldn't quite match Kara Haywold, even though the movie wanted him to. Uh, and I don't feel that's the case in your sister's sister, whereas clearly he's a lesser character to these two tremendous women uh, as well. In defense of Jared, uh, it's like you got to weigh all that stuff. Like there's this whole debate about whether Tom Cruise was just too small to play What's-His-Face in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I even know what it was called, but I can bring myself to say it. It's just too stupid a name for a grown man. Reacher, what's porn? Anyway. But he's just like, the second I see the trailer, I go, wait, he's supposed to be a military police, but he's just too short. Like, I can't buy it. But it's like, you have to weigh all that against, like, the rationale was, oh, but it's Tom Cruise, so it'll be good. But with Jared, you wanted a kid who was going to be shorter than she was, so you'd have that physical dynamic, I think. Ah, okay. And so you got to weigh that against his acting ability. And so maybe, like, the better acting kids were too tall or too short. So. And again, I don't want to, I hate to keep trashing the poor kid because he's, he's, Not, he's yeah. amazing. I mean, he's, I love watching him in, in Moonrise Kingdom. Right, exactly. So she's powerful. Right. And, well, as in your sister's sister, I think it, it is, I think uh, Mark Duplass is a worthy hypotenuse. <laughs> well put, Kelly. Uh, I like that. A worthy hypotenuse. Very nice. Damn, I wish I'd thought of that. Uh, all right, speaking of high pot news, we have three more movies to go? No. Is that, I don't know. Uh, okay. Uh, here we go. Uh, uh, let's see. Kelly Wan's number seven movie of 2012 was oh. Gigas' number six movie of 2012 and my number three movie Whoa. of 2012. Oh, nice, Tom. God, I loved this. So, okay, so my third favorite movie. You guys movie, won me. You converted me to it. Uh, my third favorite movie of 2012, uh, I'll give you a quote from it. Don't you dare loose another arrow. Uh, and it, my favorite moment from Brave, uh, and I'm willing to say this was my favorite moment. There are a bunch of things I loved. But just the act of Merida pulling her hood back during an archery competition. That's such an awesome gesture. You've seen Jedis do it in stupid Star Wars movies. You see people throwing hoods back and it looks cool. But Merida pulling her hood back and her red hair coming loose. What an amazing visual. Uh, so for the same reason that some Pixar fans were disappointed in Brave, which I can kind of understand, it's, it's an atypical Pixar movie, but for the reason that some fans were disappointed, I loved it. Uh, it was subversive in that it had no exotic, colorful locations, it didn't travel the globe, there were no wacky sidekicks, and there really weren't even any action set pieces. It was entirely about character development. And I loved that it did that. And I feel it was kind of subversive that it did that. It was a princess movie about a girl. It, it wasn't about her discovering her, her, her true love or her sexuality or escaping a, a wicked stepmother. I mean, it was still technically a princess movie. But this princess movie was about a girl learning to understand her parents. Uh, and it reminded me a lot of another animated uh, movie that I love called Coraline, where the point of Coraline is, hey, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> you know, if you're uh, and, and that's a that's a, a valuable thing, I think, to teach kids. Uh, and that's also a lot of what Brave was about. Uh, and more generally, Brave was about 
not letting anger or resentment go unresolved. Uh, and I love that that is the focus of this this animated Pixar movie. Um, so that that's one of the reasons I love it. Yes, Kelly Wand. I got a favorite quote. Ah, good. Okay, what do you got for us? That scaggy witch sold me a gamey spell. Or gammy so, spell. gammy spell. Dingus did. did Kelly Wand. <laughs> scaggy. Did, scaggy witch. Did, did so, Kelly Wand steal your quote, or do you have another quote from Brave for us? Uh, my my quote from Brave is: Is she supposed to marry one of those three dorks? <laughs> and that's not a quote from uh, an act uh, from a character in the movie, is it? No, it's my my son leaning over to to to. Uh, to comment on the fact that those three dorks are somebody she's supposed to marry. Uh, and Dingus, what was a favorite thing from the movie for you? Uh, it's it's right after the moment you're talking about. I love, uh, you know, when we talked about Hunger Games, and I hope I'm not uh, ruining your number one movie, Tom, but when we <laughs> talked about Hunger Games, you talked about how, how great, and I think you said sexy, but I'm not going to apply that to this particular moment, that moment where... Um, Katniss loses the arrow, and and you see that that slow motion moment. And, and for me, it's it's that moment in this movie. Although I don't think of it as sexy necessarily, I just love that slow motion moment where she loses the arrow, and you see her let let she's holding her breath, and she lets the breath out, and she lets the arrow go, and the arrow as it flies bends because of the way physics works. Uh, I love that moment in, in Brave. Um, that moment, by the way, hero. that moment involves bloodshed. It does involve bloodshed, that is true. It does. Just like the earrings in uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, <laughs> that's not shed. There is. A, it's a scratch. I guess you're right. It's not like blood is spurting out, but I love the fact that the feather scratches the side of her face. That's just, that's such a great detail. Uh uh, this uh, is, uh, I was gonna. Well, what were you gonna say? We cut you off, Dingus. So go go ahead. You were uh, you were. Uh, no, no, go, go right ahead. Uh, you know, I, there's plenty of other things to talk about. Uh, it's just I don't understand the objections to this movie or the. I think there's a basic misunderstanding, or maybe uh, going in with an expectation that you're going to an action movie where where. Uh, it's like a DreamWorks movie where the, the female character is just going to be a karate specialist or something because it's just not that arc. It's it's a mother and daughter and and as you said, learning to accept your parents' love and not hold on to resentment. But it also is gorgeous. There's that moment and I saw it a couple of times. Once in 3D, where she's on the falls at the beginning, and she's standing there on those cliffs, and the the fall, the firefalls, or whatever they call them, are falling down, and the great way the horse runs around, and she's on it. Uh, the I just think the movie looks gorgeous, and it it's such a great character balance. I love Merida. I think she's a great character. Mm-hmm. I like- yes. I like that the third act uh, involves a game of charades, and <laughs> spoiler, <laughs> shape shifting has taken place. It makes the charades more complicated, and so that's the suspense. It's like, oh, you can't play charades if you don't have uh, thumbs. Uh, it does have a unique take on the usual uh, anthropomorphization. Right. Don't even. Know. It has a unique take on the usual Disney anthropomorphization of animals. Well stammered. <laughs> Thank you. Totally. And it, it also has a, a nice take on the Disney usual. We can only have one parent, kind of a deal. The, you know, the, it's often. Uh, 
the other parent has died or is constantly ah. not in the picture, yeah. and uh, and now we have or two die. parents. That's the Disney thing: is they always die, and right. the orphan has to like avenge. Uh, Dingus, I'm glad you mentioned uh, uh, Merida as a character. I love the design of her. Uh, and certainly that wild red hair, but I think Kelly Wand will agree with me that she wouldn't be the same without uh, Kelly McDonald's lovely Scottish brogue. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. uh, Except for some of us, it's not a sexual thing. Uh, <laughs> no, I could just I could listen to her talk forever. Uh, <laughs> I love uh, when... She, when uh, 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 God. I, I could I could listen to her talk forever. She does, Nate Doodle. <laughs> Dingus, let's hear more of your Scottish accent, Dingus. Dingus tell you what, Dingus, why don't you tell us in your Scottish accent what is your pick for number one movie of 2012? Am I the? Oh wow! So it's my number two movie. Uh, it was close, uh, and Kelly Wan put it on his list as his number ten movie. He obviously didn't like it very much. Dingus, what <laughs> movie? Much is Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> Dingus, what did you choose as your favorite movie of 2012? That would be uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild. Give us a quote and a favorite thing, and then tell us why you loved it. All right, my uh, there's so many great quotes from this movie. All right, so the quote that I love is, I hope you die, and after you die, I'm going to go to your grave and eat birthday cake all by myself. So mean. It is very mean. Uh, so uh, the thing that there's two little moments I really love. Okay, well, uh, I break this down in a couple of ways. Uh, just an image, just a, a mental picture, and this is another one of those things that I love the way Kelly described, but what it actually is, is the the fact that they're driving around in a boat that's made out of the bed of a truck. <laughs> I love that image of them riding around in that. Um, but the, 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 uh, the little miscellaneous thing I love is is the father, the way the father looks at two specific moments. One, when she punches him in the chest, the look on his face, and then, then the other moment is when, um, when she's eating a leaf, and he looks, there's this look on his face that where you, he suddenly realizes, I have to teach her how to survive, because he knows he might not be able to. And there's, it's just, those two looks, from, and, the wonderful thing about Beasts of the Southern Wild is uh, the performances are phenomenal by complete amateurs, and that a director can get those performances out of these complete amateurs. Now, part of it is capturing lightning in a bottle, but you have to be able to direct that. And, oh, man, the way that he does this, and also, this is one of my favorite podcasts of the year as well. I, I just love the way this, this all worked out, and Beasts of the Southern Wild, this weird adaptation of a play, uh, what's it called, Juicy and Delicious, um, into this movie that is so hard to describe and so exciting to watch every time I watch it. Ah. Go ahead. So my quote would be, every animal is made out of meat. I'm meat, y'all asses meat, everything. It's part of the buffet of the universe. <laughs> I love the sass in that line. I love how it gets to the point of the movie. And one of my favorite little moments uh, is uh, the little actress. I think I'm going to try this. Dingus, let me know how I do. An actress named 
Quavenzane Wallace? Did uh, I get that right? Racist. It's close. It's Quavenzane. Quavenzane. Oh, okay. Uh, when Quavenzane Wallace turns around to look at an Auroch, no big deal. Just a little girl turning around to look at something behind her. That moment just <laughs> blows me away every time. Uh, I've only seen it twice. I'm sure if I see it a third time, it would blow me away again. Okay, Beasts of the Southern Wild, and it, I so struggled. It was number one for a while, and we'll talk about my number one in a minute. We'll get to that. I, I think at this point, everybody knows where we're going next. Um, but Beasts <laughs> of the Southern Wild, what blows me away about this movie is there's nothing quite like it. Um, when before we saw it, I, I think I'd seen it before you guys, and I, I sort of said, in order to tell somebody what Beast of the Southern Wild is, you have to put together things that you don't normally put together when you're describing a movie. You know, you have to invoke adjectives, and uh, it, it's just like nothing you've ever seen. It, it's it's like your first time seeing like a Terrence Malick movie. It's like your first time seeing a movie by someone who makes movies unlike anyone else. Uh, it's raw, effective. It's just, just this unforgettable experience. And it doesn't really feel like watching a movie so much as it feels like looking through someone else's eyes. It has such a unique perspective. Um, so I think of it as an apocalyptic coming-of-age story narrated by a five-year-old. But but this idea of, of coming-of-age isn't so much about childhood as it's about finding your place in the universe. And in that regard... It's it's every bit as good and rich as uh, Tree of Life. Um, and, Dingus, you mentioned the, the two actors, uh, Quivinjane Wallace and Dwight Henry. Uh, it's such, just such amazing work from those two. And, and, and it just gets, it gets captured so beautifully on film. Uh, you know, the fact that these aren't professional actors, just how expressive they are and how much you can read in their faces, it's, it's just amazing work. So for me, one of my favorite things about Beasts of the Southern Wild is it's just like nothing I'd ever experienced. And that's so rare when you see as many movies as we do. Kelly, Wanda, What's exciting for me is – oh, go ahead. No, no, what, go ahead. And then, Kelly Wan, I want to hear what, what you why it's your number 10. But go ahead, Dingus. Let's hear from Kelly Wan first, and then I'll go on. Mm, I don't have any – I was just going to agree with – like it is nothing. Like, like its originality is clarity of vision, two performances. Um, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, what's exciting for me is is watching it because the first time I watched it was with that understanding not only of of uh, the fact that it got recommended that we watch it uh, by Bruce Garrick, but that I didn't but, like it as much. Interesting. But the way Tom described it, and I, how do you say it again? It's I can't talk about this movie without what? How do you say that again? To describe the movie, you have to put words and terms together that you don't normally put together. I mean, like, just, and, like beasts and wild, you never see those together. And whenever, I, whenever I watch it, I I get that sort of that echo of what you're saying in my head, and I I love that so much. And I'm so happy you brought up Tree of Life because I thought of that uh, when I was when I was putting together my list and trying to decide because I had a really hard time with my uh, with uh, with one what wound up as my number two and my number one which is going to wind up as my number one um, and and Tree of Life kept coming into my head I think Tree of Life only wound up as number six maybe on my list um, but but I definitely those definitely occupy the same mental space for me and wh- where this movie shines for me is that that this this is this feels like a story about the universe um like tree of life was but it's it's a story about 
God as a child instead of God as a father. And um, Tree of Life is, for me, was God as a father, and that's what that story is. And then, but it, it, feels dissonant this feels like a story about god as a child and and as and the universe is as a place of thing where things can be fixed or should be fixed the way a child would fix them and and i the layers in this work and settle so beautifully for me whereas in tree of life there were things that stuck out and i could have done without and i don't know if there's anything i could do without these and, and I think part of it is that there is you can get the first ten minutes of Beats of the Southern Wild is some of the most energetic, boy are you in for one hell of a ride introductions <laughs> that you will see in any movie. I, I think. Uh, uh, can you say that? I just hear music play. The music that you yeah. Go ahead. The, the music and the and the what you're seeing and the narration you're hearing and the sense of who are these people? Where are they living? What are they doing? Why is she making that weird little nest for that bird? What's this party <laughs> they're at? Where do they live? What, I mean, just this what's going on and the images flying past you and the music building to when you finally get to that image of her running with the sparklers and the big title card with the name of the movie, you're just like, yeah, whatever you're going to do, just carry me along. It's just like you're on a log flume shooting down and there's like water spraying everywhere. And it's just amazing, just the sensation of that. And there's nothing quite like that in Tree of Life. Like Tree of Life has this kind of... Um, you know, Terrence Malick has this sort of like wisdom and languid pacing, and and I love all of that. But Terrence Malick is never going to take me down a log flume. You know, that's that's right. Not, and he takes you on a beach. That, yeah. All of a sudden, I think the word mannered, and I don't. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. weird. Yeah. Wait, uh, for which one? Which for one? Tree of Life? Because uh, yeah. it's white, white people. Well, you know, I, I also just love how this is a place that, you know, there you could look at it as a post-Katrina movie, whatever, and it's not even set in Louisiana. Like, it's its own world. It's its own fiction. But it is so – the fact that it's about two black characters doesn't even register for me because it's not – I mean, there, there's there, – you know, there are certainly white characters in the movie. It's just this this huge melting pot of, of people and personalities and faces. I mean, the faces of the characters, the actors in this movie are just so vivid. Uh, it, it's just squirming with, with personality and people, memorable people. Uh, I also love, um, I love movies that use animals as metaphors. And we saw that in, in The Gray. We saw that in Brave. Uh, I, the, the metaphors in this movie are so awesome. And I, I, I love Spider-Man, too. There you go. Uh, I love how the Aurochs uh, emerge and progress and reveal through the movie. Yeah. Those creatures are just so amazing to me. And it just makes me... It, it, I, so I see so many low-budget, crappy horror movies that try to do special effects. Uh, I recently watched one called John Dies in the End, which dies at the end, which was by Don Coscarelli, the guy who did Phantasm. And I didn't care for it much. And it was trying to do all these special effects things, and they just looked cheap and chintzy. And I, I just that takes me out of a movie. If you can't do good special effects, just find something else to do with your movie. And so watching Beasts of the Southern Wild how it does like effects sequences <laughs> i'm just blown away by that it looks so good when it's doing these kind of like sometimes it looks kind of like a terry gilliam thing uh other times it's just it's dressing up animals to make them look different but throughout it looks amazing i love the special effects in this movie um See, that's why I get bored by Avengers, is when I see CG used for stuff I usually see it used for, I kind of tr just zone out. But when I see things like Aurochs, 
Well, that's not CG, Kelly Wand. I mean, there's no CG in Beasts of the Southern Wild. Well, I just meant special effects in general. Or like fake giant creature. Like the dinosaurs in Tree of Life. That's an unusual use of... uh... That's CG, right? <laughs> That's not Rotus. No, no, no. They, no, they, they that, trained, no, that was actual footage. They tra- yeah, they they had to train them. Uh, <laughs> really? They had to have a dinosaur wrangler. <laughs> no, because that's a lot of found footage from the actual dinosaur times. Right, exactly, Kelly. Wong. All right, listen. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get down to brass tacks, gentlemen. Uh, Kelly Wand, your number two favorite movie of the year. Dingus, your number two favorite movie of the year. I was the only one who eventually settled on Zero Dark Thirty being my favorite thing for the year. And what it came down to me, what it came down to for me, uh, we did our podcast on it. That two weeks ago? Last week? Whenever it was. So you can listen to our Zero Dark Thirty podcast. We have a lot more to say about it. But the reason that I eventually decided, you know what, this is the thing that meant the most to me this year, uh, was thinking back on something that Dingus said when we did the podcast. Um, we were talking about the controversy about torture in uh, in Zero Dark Thirty, uh, and I asked you guys, like, what did you think of it? And, and the way Dingus expressed it, uh, so captures for me why I resonate with this movie. And Dingus, you said, the first thing you said about it was it just felt embarrassing. And for me, Zero Dark Thirty is so much about the ensuing 10 years after 9-11. You know, what my country has done. Uh, and so much of it is just embarrassing. Uh, specifically the, the issues with torture, the invasion of Iraq, uh, the detainees in Guantanamo, uh, you know, how, how our country has been infected by prejudice against Arabs and, and, and Islam as a religion, by how we've had to cozy up with thugs in Pakistan and Saudi Arabia. I'm just so embarrassed by so much of what my country has done after 9-11 that when Dingus brought up that term, uh, and, and yes, that's how it feels when you watch the torture in Zero Dark Thirty. It just feels embarrassing. It's dehumanizing to both parties. Uh, and and it, it, that's such an important thing for me to have brought out in watching a movie about the hunt for Osama bin Laden. It's about much more than that, and it certainly taps into other feelings I had. You know, the, that last hour, the action sequence, it's actually about the raid. The way I felt during that sequence was a lot of how I felt, too, about things after 9-11, the invasion of Afghanistan, certainly the killing of Osama bin Laden. But I just feel like as an experience, as a movie about the experience in the wake of 9-11, United 93 was like an opera about that, that feeling, that, that emotion, that, that sort of uncontrollable grief, almost hysteria. United 93 was about that. In the Loop was a black comedy about the absurdity of our country's response. And to me, the, the final bit in, a, in what's a kind of a cinematic triptych uh, is Zero Dark Thirty, which is about how we've come to terms with what happened over the last 10 years. And it doesn't offer a resolution so much as it as it has an emotional a, 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 an emotional payoff and then a question. And for me, I feel that's just a, a really important part of how to resolve what we've been through in the last ten years. So for that reason, for how I responded to it, for how important I think it is dealing with the the aftermath of 9/11, this was my favorite thing that I saw this year. Um, all right, so you guys, why was it uh, your number two favorite movie? Kelly Wand, what made it work for you? What, what did you like? What, what made this so high on the list for you? Something I thought of after we did the podcast that I liked about it, uh, 
that I forgot to mention when we did the podcast was that it opens with a woman crying and it closes with a woman crying. Ah, very good. But the second one's avenging. The first one you could argue, but it's like she doesn't cry till her role is complete until the work's done. So I found that a very interesting character arc. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like it's about women versus Bin Laden. Um, I found that very interesting. Uh, Dingus, give us a quote and a favorite thing. Uh, well, the quote would be, okay, 95%, because I know certainty freaks you out, but it's 100 <laughs> uh, And my, my favorite thing, uh, just putting off for a moment what you just talked about, which I think is more important, um, the, the raid, the way the raid happens, the way it's paced and shot, uh, the, the dust flying up, the way it's lit, the way the music and the way the helicopters are flying in over. The, just that final raid is one of my favorite things I've ever seen. Uh, I hate to bring up something stupid. But I'm not going to. Never mind. Uh, I, I, Wait a minute. But, Where were no, you going? No, I, I'll, I'll bring that up later. Okay. I'm going to push But the, the way that the final raid plays out, and I... I I feel bad about calling, you know, when we talked about it in the podcast, I, I waxed, not poetic, but excited about how, what a great payoff it was, and how it's one of the greatest payoffs I've ever seen, and, and I feel that, like, that kind of thing uh, lessens it in a way, I just, I'm just so amazed by the way she, the way Catherine Bigelow paces that whole sequence, and the way they do that whole thing of the helicopters landing and when I'm crashing, all of the things that happen. That raid is just phenomenal. It really is one of the best action sequences that's ever been committed to film. I mean, and that's that's hyperbole that I'm comfortable using uh, in that so many action scenes are about so many different things and they can express so many different kinds of, of movies and sensations and feelings. But just as far as expressing what this movie is about, that action sequence, there's, it's as good as an action sequence has ever been as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I got a quote. She's going to bleed out. Remember that? Sure. He says it too. Well, let me uh, introduce a little levity. Here's a quote for you. We don't know what we don't know. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? It's a tautology. Yeah, <laughs> I love how cowed he is when he says it's a tautology. Uh, and there, the thing is, there's so, so many, there's so many um, just, great quotes. They're great quotes, but they're they're human touches. Like it's not for for a movie that for so long is a procedural and at times a tedious one, and at times you don't know where it's going, and at times it, it's maybe a little too long. And I think that's kind of the point. Um, there are just so many great little touches like that that the actors bring and that Mark Bowell's script introduces and and that Catherine Bigelow knows enough to shoot and to include. Um, it never you know, felt tedious to me. I, uh, I don't mean I that should. in a bad way, but it felt like, you, you know, there, there are long stretches of the movie where they're, no, where they're, you know, like we as a country, they're not making any progress. So it's it's sort of capturing tedium and, and, uh, right. and, and exhaustion and failure uh, I found that fascinating. And I did too. Yeah. Okay. And so one of my, by the way, one of my favorite little thingies uh, would be, uh, and this is during that action sequence when that one seal is calling out to Osama. I think he just says Osama. Like yeah. I, I uh, remember, and I think that that really happened. But I just remember the audacity of that moment yeah. being there and just being delighted by that. It was yeah. just so just it's weird very and yeah, yeah. Um, 
Was that all so? Was that all how it went down? And did we? Uh, well, uh, yeah. I mean, she obviously the uh, the the actual raid, as far as what we know, like Catherine Bigelow put a lot into recreating it as it really happened, you know, as best as we know. Um, and I invite you to listen to our podcast. We talk a lot about that kind of stuff there. Um, so, yeah, th- that's another thing, too, is that she's, well, you know what? I have more to say about that in my uh, three by three. So hold that thought. <laughs> huh. <laughs> let, um, me, let me just say one more thing about what you were talking about as far as uh, what I said about embarrassment, because I'm, I'm really happy to hear you mention that because the word embarrassed is it just feels like such a shadow of the word i mean but you you filled it out uh but but it it also we should we should be embarrassed and also we should have to look at that and that that's why i don't understand the outcry and the pointing fingers at the filmmakers as if they were justifying torture or something. It's, it's such a misunderstanding of what a, what uh, a document this movie is, because we should have to look at that. Um, we, yeah, we've seen pictures, we've seen, uh, um, soldiers holding their thumbs up and taking pictures of naked prisoners and all of those things. We've seen those images and we've dismissed them, but we should have to have our noses rubbed in this, I think, because whether or not I voted for George W. Bush, this was done in my name. Uh, I'm an American and these things were done in my name and I should have to face the fact that maybe it worked. Maybe it could have been done better. It should have been done better. Uh, I should have to have my nose rubbed in this. And, uh, and so the, the reluctance to uh, accept the idea that these filmmakers show this is befuddling to me because I feel like as an American, I should have to face this. And that's why I, I love this movie so much. And it almost was my number one movie. It, it dropped to number two. It didn't drop. It was, I, swapping back and forth but i re- i really feel like we we should have to we should have to watch this type of thing and i and i like that the this movie makes that happen i'm uh, pro showing it but did we or did we not get critical information about his whereabouts using torture it, it, it to me that that is immaterial because we could have and maybe we did and maybe we could have gotten that information by other means and we should know that but this is what we did, and we should know that this is what we did. Yeah. And, and again, I invite you to listen to our podcast uh, for Zero Dark Thirty. We do talk a bit about the movie's perspective on torture, uh, you know, how we uh, feel about point, it yeah. and how. So, so listen to that. Uh, it's in the archives. Um, so real quick, before we do our three by three, I want us each to mention our most surprising and most disappointing movie of the year. I've already said my most surprising is End of Watch because I knew nothing about it going in. I'd seen the trailer. I was just going in. I think I, I left... I think I watched End of Watch to escape Cosmopolis. It's like I had walked out of another movie that I had no desire to watch, and I was uh, like, well, yeah. I'll, I'll go see this. Uh, so Ironically. That was, you that was, go ahead, Kelly Wand, yeah? Well, just that title, like, I'm going to see the end of this movie, End of Watch. Well, no, no, I went in. I would not walk into the middle of a movie, by the way. I, I am not beyond seeing two movies for the price of one just because I, I will drift into a theater. Don't tell anyone, but I would never walk into the middle of a movie. So I, I saw got your money. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. But I did see beginning of End of Watch, just so you know. Uh, So that was my most surprising. Kelly Wan, what was your most surprising movie of 2012? 
I'm partly surprised Life of Pi isn't on your 10 list, considering... Oh, I loved it. I, I liked that movie quite a bit. I mean, I, you know, there were plenty I liked, though. But that, that didn't make the cut, but I did like it quite a bit. It, I considered it. My most surprising was the movie Dread, because I went into that, I think, the week after we saw Resident Evil, and I was really... And after we saw fucking Total Recall, and it was like the fourth or fifth in a row, like, science fiction action movie <laughs> we'd seen in four weeks, and I was just sick of writing ops. It was fucking jokes about lasers and shit and dread was so awesome and so the movie i wanted captain america to be like a mission like just a siege movie like just an annoying day in the life of mm-hmm. which i guess lincoln is i'm surprised kelly one don't soft pedal the fact that you love judge dread because olivia thurlby was in it it didn't well but she was uh, blonde sure sure yeah yeah <laughs> Silver Lightings play. After you see Silver Lightings playbook, you'll go, "Oh, I see why I liked it." All right, whatever. Jennifer, but, well, hair color does play a very key role in my. All right, okay. but Dingus back. Dingus will go with me on Dread. It was no, like, you guys. I think we're both pretty more fond of Dread than I was. I believe. Like the stuff you didn't like about it was stuff I liked about it. Like that his chin was the entire character was amazing. <laughs> Wait a minute, I thought Carl Urban was going to be in that. <laughs> yeah, look how huge. It's not, it's like his chin's bigger than his face somehow. So I don't, that was some, that was one of the things that one of the audience members of Zero Dark Thirty said after we saw it. Is, is some guy sitting behind me in a very disappointed voice said, I thought Carl Urban was going to be in this. <laughs> Maybe was, that was him, Kelly Juan. Yeah, uh, I was disappointed Carl Urban wasn't in Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, Dingus, what was your most surprising movie of 2012? Before I go there, I, I, I do have to um, validate Kelly's choice because I love Dread to uh, 3D. Um, I love it even more because this week, you know, one of the things that I do is I, I scan a bunch of top ten lists and, and try to see movies that uh, I think I should see. And w- one movie I thought for some reason I should see is this terrible movie called The Raid, <laughs> The Redemption. A lot of people love that, Dingus. I know, a lot of people like love it, but, but Dread does does what that movie is trying to do so right. much better. I mean, Dread understands how to make that dramatic and interesting and how to have a, a, a reliable villain and... It does so many things that the raid that everybody I, I, I heard so many people praise and has the worst subtitle track I think I've ever seen. Um, uh, but dread, uh, dread just just does that that thing that siege thing that the raid is trying to do perfectly. And to its credit, dread was made by a bona fide filmmaker. The raid redemption was made by a bunch of martial artist choreographers, pretty yeah. much. Uh, yeah. Uh, and by the way, Kelly, one, I don't want your response to get lost. What did you just now say when I said a lot of people like raid the redemption? Oh, Gangnam style. People like, is that what I said? <laughs> Except you didn't phrase it as a question. I, I think I'm going to use that from now on whenever someone argues that something is popular. People I'm also like, going to point out that uh, Gangnam Style is popular. That's my rebuttal to your Avengers thing. Oh, snap! Oh, snap. Take that $625 million, motherfucker. <laughs> Nearly as much money as Gangnam Style has made. Uh, all right, so uh, most disappointing movie. Well, Kelly one, we're, actually, oh yes, I, my most surprising one. Oh was, yeah, yeah, you didn't. You were gonna. You, no, I'm sorry, I'm putting you down for Dread with Kelly Wand. No, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> instead, put me down for Snow White and the Huntsman, which I did not expect to be good at all. Uh, but I ended up loving. I, I I love the music. I love the way it's put together. I know Kristen Stewart gets 
a huge amount of guff for just being not. Um, <laughs> that was pretty good. But I love how she has this sense of melancholy to her, and I love what they do with the dwarves in that movie. I love the style of it, and Charlize Theron is great in it, so Snow White and the Huntsman was a huge surprise for me. And that, that's all thanks to Tom getting us to watch it. Yeah, I quite like that as well. Uh, all right, Snow White and the Huntsman, Dingus is most surprising, most disappointing, Dingus. What would you pick? I would have to say this is a this is a close one. There are two of them. Uh, I expected one to be bad. I didn't expect Django Unchained to be as horrible as it was. That's my disappointment. Ah, so you both picked that as your most disappointing. All right. Yeah, he didn't. I did. I thought he. Oh, I thought that was his runner-up. Sorry. No, Django Unchained is the one. It's just there's. I don't think there's a thing that's good about it. I can't stand it. Christoph Waltz. I, yeah. Uh, to win. Uh, if if I could. <laughs> Lift out Christoph Waltz and, and transport him into... Uh, I would... Uh, yeah, I do love that guy. That's a good point. No, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, well, because it's also... It's, fun. It's, just, it's just trash, and I don't know what the hell the tone is supposed to be. You follow it on the heels of... Uh, a movie that's in earnest, but Christoph Waltz is transcendent, and good for him. First to worst. Inglorious Bastards, and then Django and Shane's follow-up. So you guys most disappointed is Django Unchained. I would have to go with uh, Dark Knight Rising, uh, just because it felt to me so tired. Rises, rises or Rising? He's oh, Rising. Rises, yeah. yeah, but yeah, as your oh, Moon yeah. Rising Kingdom, <laughs> whatever it's called. Uh, I thought it was so tired and uninspired. Uh, it was as if the original Dark Knight had sapped every ounce of energy from everyone involved, and this was something they had to do for like out of a sense of obligation. It's like a B-side or something. <laughs> Dark Knight uh, sinks. Oh, God, I'm so disappointed. I in know. It. But you know what, though? I wouldn't say... To me, it wasn't the most disappointing because I didn't think it was going to be good. So you obviously had a, huge hopes for it based no, on... No, no, Tom didn't what. either, but he, I think you know, what was interesting was that every time we talked about seeing that movie, Tom would say, it's not going to be any good, it's not going to be any good, and it felt like, like him... For, pretending like oh, I hope oh like secretly right. i hope it's gonna be good but i'm going to just keep saying this and then it turned I have out to he see it that's what he's saying he's like i know i have to see it and i i hope i'm wrong hope i'm wrong hope no i wasn't wrong well the fact i mean disappointing even the, the fact that i was potentially disappointed before i'd even seen it just the fact that the dark knight is so good and these are the same people and presumably the same creative team uh and that this is what they ended up doing that it was disappointing in the ways it was disappointing i was worried it wasn't going to live up to dark knight of course um but it the fact it that does it, so much more than not live up to it, exactly yeah yeah uh -huh. It makes you wonder, it makes you question yourself. Like, wait, was Dark Knight really good, or was I really big? Like, was it just well, well, I was, well, I was constantly hoping that it was going to be good and, and trying to fight against Tom. And I no, Tom, it's not going to be that bad. And it turned out to be worse than he was trying to prepare me for. Yeah. It's just such a mess. Within 60 seconds, though, I went, oh, no. Wait. <laughs> Maybe it'll pick up. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wand, can you give us a little bane? No. One, two, three. La, 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 la. Me, can you give us a little bane? Kelly Wand, why would you withhold bane from us? That's terrible. Sick, dying. All right. <laughs> uh, this time, this. Uh, like, yes, Kelly Wand? Oh, I'm so good. Well, like the guy was saying, 
he he. Oh no, it wasn't a guy at work. It was a guy. It was my friend who likes everything, but even still thought Amazing Spider-Man was the worst superhero movie. But he was saying how great Tom Hardy was in Dark Knight Rising, which I'm now going to call it too. And I go, "What are you talking about? He's terrible." He's all. He goes, "Yeah, but he has such expressive lips and mouth." And I go, "It was covered by a face mask that was circulating his farts or something." And he's all, "Yeah, I know. That was what is amazing. Like even with his mouth covered, he was great." I'm like, "Oh my god, fuck." Sorry. All right, well, let's do a three-by-three three now. For uh, We're going to make up awards to give to movies. Uh, Dingus, you were introducing next week's three-by-three, three, so why don't you start us off? What's an award, and who is the winner of it? All right, this is the best thing I had to watch because we watched something that turned out to be crap. What? How does that work? It works because uh, I'm making up my own category. And this wait, is... wait, so slow, hold on. The best thing we had to watch because we watched something that turned out to be crap? Right. I don't understand the award. Well, that's look, your okay, yeah, let's let's find out what won. Okay, sorry. We'll backtrack. To the, All right. So if I if I say the award is best thing I had to watch because the thing I had to watch turned out to be crap, and the thing that turned out to be crap was the Innkeepers. Ah, House of the Devil. It's a good one. The so I got to watch the House of the Devil, and I wouldn't be able to bring it up this year because it wouldn't be eligible for this year's awards. But I'm so crazy about House of the Devil that I can't bring it up, and I'm always looking for a way to bring up previous movies that I watched this year because I watched so many movies this year, and I'd like to be able to say, "Gee, the best movie I watched on video this year." So the the one of the best movies I watched on video this year is a movie called House of the Devil, which was by the guy who directed Incapers, which we watched for the podcast and so in keeping with in keeping uh, uh, the podcast i usually watch things by the same director over that course of the week so uh, i watched house of the devil and i was crazy about it and then innkeepers turned out to be crap so okay, well i don't know the thing you... i watched this year that i had to watch because something else turned out to be crap is the house right. of the well, I thought these awards would be for 2012 movies. It would be the same rules that apply to our top ten. Uh, but if we're going to do that, I've got to change some of my lists real quick. Hold on. All right, go ahead. Get to work. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wan, what's an award you have given a movie? Give us the award Here? and the winner. Oh, uh, my number three is Best Use of a Battleship. <laughs> well, and... I know what movie that is. <laughs> no, it's uh, Life of Pi. Cause That's not a battleship. It is, isn't it? <laughs> I thought it was a battleship. Well, that's my number three, Life of Pi. Oh, best use of a battleship, and the winner is Life of Pi? Yeah. Okay. Um, interesting. I don't remember. Hey, your version of Dingus's one was uh, you went into Cosmopolis, piece of shit. <laughs> oh, right. And then it led me to Steer see you. End of Watch. Well, the thing is, if we're going to talk about movies that didn't come out this year, I feel like like, like one of the movies we saw and did a podcast on, which came out last year, had a theatrical release, but it had a DVD release this year, uh, is Margaret. And I think we were all three blown away by that. And certainly, if I'd seen Margaret in 2011, it, it, I would have tried. I probably would have tried to get it in my top ten list. Um, yeah, I was so trying to shoehorn that in. I, I just lo- I well, love I love that movie. Doing- but then, go ahead, go ahead. Tom. Well, I was going to say, with the way you're doing in your awards, I, I will be surprised if you haven't. <laughs> no, I, I won't. I promise. I, Who broke I the list? First, me or James? Uh, <laughs> but then I, I remember us talking about Margaret, and and one of the lo- one of the great things about that discussion was us going back and forth on whether they on which version would work, and if 
either version worked. I just think right, Margaret right. is so worth watching, and both versions are worth watching, and it's such yeah. a great discussion to have. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I I really cheated on that on my my, my number three. I apologize, but that's okay. Margaret would have. Uh, Margaret was a contender for that crappy uh, thing that I just did. Well, also, in a year that had so few good horror movies, uh, we're glad you got to see House of the Devil, Dingus. Could have been worse. You could have seen The Possession, that thing where... Uh, not, Kelly Wan, what's the name of the, the Joker guy in Watchmen who makes jokes? Comedian. You could have seen the comedian's daughter get haunted by a Dybbuk <laughs> in, in The Possession. Because uh, that really happened. Remember in The Apparition when Cost Plus... Uh... Oh, yeah, yeah, or that's right. You could have seen The Apparition where you go into a Costco and you go in a tent and monsters grope you. Or, Dingus, you could have seen uh, Sinister where Ethan's daughter chops you up with an axe. What else could he have seen, Kelly Wand? If the fingers were clean, then it's sensual, though. It's just... Yeah, the, no, no, these fingers were really dirty. Grubby, dirty, grimy, ghoul fingers. You don't want them touching you. Yeah. Uh, all right, so... Sure. Uh, here's my uh, award. Um, this is the second best action sequence based on a thing that actually happened. <laughs> wow. So the first you make best- fun of that for Diggis' labyrinthine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all know what first place winner is. I want to continue with this. Obviously, Zero Dark Thirty won, won first place. Second place. So you guys, you're jerks because I knew you were sneaking around, seeing movies at the end of the year that could maybe get on your list, like Dingus going to see Rust and Bone and Kelly Wan going to see Silver Linings Playbook. So in that same vein, I go off to see The Impossible which is that tsunami movie. <laughs> oh, it's terrible, but this... It, it, Wait, it, why is it called that? Uh, because they... Uh, it's possible this. Oh, wait, is that about the white people? Yeah, okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> is that about the white people? No, Kelly Wand is right, because I, I really do feel... I, I hated... I, I, uh, so I hated most of the movie. The movie's just reunion porn, basically. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and it's really maudlin. Uh, but but the, the point is, you know, when that, that tsunami in 2004 killed, and this is still amazing to me, it killed a quarter of a million people. That, that's, that's just an, a staggeringly high number, mostly in Indonesia and Southeast Asia. And for whatever reason, the people making the impossible are going to make it about a white family, every single one of whom survived. And I'm sorry if that's a spoiler, but that's the tagline, a family story of survival. They're going to make it about white people at a resort, all of whom survive, quarter of a million people in Indonesia and Southeast Asia killed by this thing. Um, however, uh, even though the movie's maudlin and, and just ridiculous, uh, the, the tsunami sequence is, abs- is really well done, uh, it, partly for the use of special effects, um, but also because it's really harrowing. Uh, and it's not, you get some of the usual, like, huge CG shots of the wave coming in, but it's really harrowing for how it's shot from the perspective of one person swept up in the tsunami. Um, and what also makes it work is that Naomi Watts is so good, and it's why I ultimately went to see this, is Naomi Watts, I feel, doesn't do crappy movies uh, for the most part. Like you, you would be hard-pressed, I think, to think of a crappy Naomi Watts movie. Maybe you can do it. I don't know. Uh, what do you think of Huckabee's? Kelly Wand, let's not go there. <laughs> you would do that to me. Nice work. Well played, Kelly Wand. All right. 
Uh, but it's David O. Russell. If you're going to make a crappy movie, make a crappy David O. Russell movie. Uh, very good. Uh, good so rebuttal. If, anyway, because uh, because of Naomi Watts, and also because of a, of a, a young first-time actor named Todd Holland, who, or Tom Holland? I think it's Tom Holland, uh, who's, who's very, very good in this, by the way. Uh, the two of them really sell that tsunami sequence. So that's that wins uh, the second best action sequence based on a real event is the tsunami sequence at the beginning of uh, Impossible. And it made me want to ask Dingus, uh, so I, I do find that offensive. You know, I, I do feel that it's worth leveling this. This There's some controversy around the impossible. And, and I feel that the controversy is justified. Um, and it reminds me of a, of a movie that we've talked about, much to Kelly Wan's chagrin, because he can't be arsed to actually see it, a movie we've talked about called Vinyan, which uh. is specifically about this subject. White people dealing with the tsunami. Uh, and I love how it's about that. I love how it uh, acknowledges the the significant – I mean, I love how it acknowledges that issue and how it becomes what kind of makes the movie what it is. Uh, Dingus, you've talked about Hereafter. Uh, does it have any – like the tsunami, by the way, isn't even in Vinyan. It's all about afterwards. Is there a tsunami sequence in Hereafter? Yeah, yeah, and and it's disgusting and and offend. I I I find oh. hereafter to be utterly offensive and disgusting. I can't stand it. Uh, as a disaster sequence, though, is the tsunami stuff like cool? Like I don't want to call it cool. But uh, what I liked about I don't I don't know if I can evaluate it that way. I okay. really don't. Well, what I because, liked about the tsunami, I just want to say real quick, what I liked about the tsunami and the impossible is it's really grim and harrowing. It's not a 2012. Let's just have a bunch of shit get knocked over kind of sequence. Um, so so I was wondering like. Good. So you you don't find you can't evaluate the tsunami sequence in hereafter because the whole movie's disgusting. No no no. I think that that it starts disgusting because of that but i don't think it's it's even artfully done i don't okay. you know i'm i'm kind of casting back to the way that movie begins and that that because it's it's like a, a resort and it's white people and we're in the streets and then the waters are coming up the streets and uh, it's been a while since i saw that but i just remember feeling so turned off by it uh i'm not discounting what you're talking about tom i just hereafter which is a Clint Eastwood movie just felt like so it felt oh. it felt so oh, just disgustingly we're going to we're going to use this to play on something later for a plot point and all this is is a setup for a plot point i mean oh, it's it, not about the tsunami no it's it's a it's about you know it's about a guy who goes it's not about that it's wait uh, wait keep going I thought it was a tsunami movie for some reason. I, he, he just laughed. It made me totally want to hear the rest of the sentence. <laughs> just tell me what you're laughing about, please. I don't want to see the movie. It, oh. It's it's more like uh, if Haley Joel Osment. Uh, oh wait, he talks to ghosts of the tsunami. That, <laughs> that makes it sound kind of interesting. Talk about it, it's horrible. Ah. Uh. He's making it sound good. He's tricking and, him. And it was written by Peter Morgan, which makes it even more difficult to talk bad about it. All right. Who the fuck's I, that? I really hate it hereafter. I, but, the, but there are people who love it, so it might just be. Therefore, it's great. Well, I really thought it was a tsunami movie for some reason. Because uh, the tsunami was in the fucking commercials. That you I, never, I never saw the commercials. No, no, no. It, it's, it's just used as a... Filler. You know, a, a, a plane went down over here, and something happened over here. And oh, there's a tsunami. I mean, oh. just, 
I mean, I'm playing you're safe from the tsunami. I'm really confused now. There's yeah. ghosts. Haley Joel Osment's in it. Hey, uh, Tom's movie sounds like it does for tsunamis what Disclosure did for sexual harassment, because it's about white people. What the heck? Kelly Wand. Yeah. Kelly Wand, just for that, you're going to have to give us an award. Oh, no, Dingus, it's your turn. Uh, give us an award and the winner of the award. All right. Uh, this this is inspired by something Kelly said a while ago during a podcast. And I think he, he, just, he thinks all rooftop chases are horrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is this is the best rooftop chase of the year, uh, and so uh, the nominees would be uh, Taken Two. Okay, Taken Two. I did not see, so thank you for adding. Ah, uh-huh, Tom saw Taken Two. Uh, the Total Recall remake had a uh, right. rooftop chase. Right. Um, Born Legacy had a rooftop chase, yeah. and Haywire also had a rooftop. Yay! Uh, but my favorite rooftop chase is in the opening sequence of a movie called Skyfall, uh, where a motorcycle goes across a roof and then crashes through, uh, and then another motorcycle is chasing it and crashes through the uh, window of a train station or something. So the uh, rooftop moment in Skyfall is my favorite rooftop. The train chase. roof you're talking about. Yes. No, no, no. No, no, no. There's, yeah. There's there, stuff there's, on the roof of a train and on the roof of buildings. Yes, yes. both. So it's but, a dual dueling roofs. Well, there, there's this wonderful thing that happens in oh god, the impossible, uh, uh, it, the international. There's this rooftop <laughs> chase in the international. Uh, I love it when things that have no connection. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, it's in Turkey. I'm almost certain it's in Turkey, and um, and. When we're going through Skyfall at the beginning and they're doing this on motorcycles across these at the marketplace or the bazaar or whatever it is, uh, it reminded me of that moment in the International that I really liked, but it's motorcycles. And so the rooftop chase slash fight on motorcycles in Skyfall is my favorite rooftop chase of the year. All right. Kelly Wand, give us an award and the recipient of the award. Uh, Well, my number two and my number one are kind of like a two-parter. So can I just do them both, or is that... that uh, okay, sure. Okay, my best advice given by a decapitated head is try harder. <laughs> uh, from the movie Prometheus. And my worst advice given by a decapitated head in the same movie is have an awesome journey, which uh, Michael Fassbender's head tells Biff. Does that line actually get said by Michael Fassbender's head? Yeah. Yeah. Does not nobody ever says has have an awesome journey. <laughs> he says something like that. He the alien, the white pale alien engineer rips off Fassbender's head and then breaks Biff's back and then walks away like Frankenstein. And then, <laughs> <laughs> I right. can't believe. And then Michael Fassbender's head tells Biff, uh, "Have an awesome journey," and then he dies. And then the head gets put in a duffel bag and has an other journey that's not apparently. Unlike Tony Scott's. Ooh, too soon. Horrible. Uh, all right, my uh, next award is the award for worst worst controversy about a movie. Now, there have been several movies. There are several. Here are some nominees. Uh, the controversy about torture in Zero Dark Thirty, about slavery in Django Unchained. Those are good ones that you like. About, about white people in The Impossible, and uh, about teenage sexuality in Moonrise Kingdom. Those actually, I feel all of those in a way um, are valid things to discuss in the wake of a movie. 
You know, I don't feel those are bad controversies in, in a way. Like I feel that, uh, well, we don't even have to get into them, but I think all of those makes for make for uh, interesting discussions and they're a valuable part of the movie. Here's one that does not make for an interesting discussion and is not a valuable part of the movie, and that is who Kristen Stewart is banging and Snow White and the Huntsman. Oh, my God. I feel that that has no bearing on the movie. You mean on the set or in the plot? I don't care. Oh, in the, what he's saying. In the, yeah, either way. That's not a controversy. <laughs> it is. I mean, that that I think if you were to like Google Snow White and the Huntsman, you will get more hits about Kristen Stewart sleeping with Rupert. Uh, not ever. Uh, who's the guy? Who's not Rupert? Yeah, who's, the Rupert guy that, who's the guy that directed it? Dingus. Rupert Smith. Rupert Smith, okay. You will get more hits about that than you will get probably about the actual movie. I hate, hate, hate that people are going to remember this as the movie where Kristen Stewart slept with her director. Because I really liked that movie. Like, Dingus, you mentioned it as your, your biggest surprise. I was really fond of that movie. And I just, I hate that it's been upstaged by tabloid crap. So that's my, that's my pitch. Go ahead, sorry. Is that why you were shy about talking about it when I talked about it as a surprise? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, I, I did not... I think the Moonrise Kingdom one's dumber than that. I don't, I don't. Because I really do think that it's... It, it then leads to a discussion about, well, you know what? Yeah, kids do are sexual at this age. And that's right. part of the point of, I, I think, Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. Is is it our responsibility to protect kids from that? Uh, uh, well, I don't see this. I don't know. It seems well, like... You, a... you don't think that that's an issue that, that sh- that's part of the... I, like, I think that's an issue that's part well, of the movie. Yeah, but I think well, I don't a I don't remember this being a controversy at the time, but I remember all the other ones you mentioned. I know up. that some yeah. I remember hearing I want to say David Edelstein, but I remember some prominent critic really being mentioning that he was very uncomfortable with the portrayal of sexuality in the movie. I've since heard other people just informally say that. Um, all right, so you I, out with the square crowd, I think, than they maybe yeah. so. Yeah. Oh wait, what was the dumb one? Oh yeah, the but that's not about the movie. I think. Like well, it's well, okay. Go ahead, Google it, and let me know. Uh, let me yeah, know. but you're also. It's like it's a number of hits based on a like on the internet. Like that's not like I didn't even know that that's true. But if you, Kelly, one, you did not know about the whole controversy with Kristen Stewart sleeping with her director for Snow White and the Huntsman. Yeah, but I didn't care. Oh, well, I, I didn't care either, and I didn't. Even, I didn't even want to know. What's the? Oh my God! Like what? Like controversy means there's two sides to something. The controversy, Kelly Wan, is that she cheated on uh, Robert uh, Patterson or whatever his name is. Who cares? Obviously, everybody who's googling it <laughs> movies I don't care about in the same controversy. Well, like, Kelly Wan, then give. Oh, so you've done your your um, awards? Have an so, awesome journey. <laughs> wait, it's Rupert. Hold on, Everett. Hold on. No, who's the she guy? Inspired, but Rupert Chris Sanders. 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 Thank you, thank you, Dingus. Thank you very much. They're all idiots. And and Tom's right. It was, and and it kind of sours. It it's a sours scam. the movie a little bit, and it shouldn't. It's, yeah, the movie is the movie, and whatever they're doing, they're doing. Yeah. Uh. So they want. All right. Well, I don't know what the two sides of the controversy were. Like, no, she didn't. Or... Uh. Well, in that case, let's go to Dingus's. Uh, new award and winner. Dingus, what do you got for us? All right. My favorite, uh, uh, my number one uh, made-up award is Hottest Facial Expression. Ooh, I like this. Uh, wait, wait. Uh, that's a good one. <laughs> a lot of good candidates there. Um, well, there's a lot of good candidates. Unfortunately, neither of you have seen this one. Uh, this is from a movie called Rust and Bone. <sighs> yeah, fuck. 
What an asshole. Well, I saw The Impossible, and you guys didn't. So There's stop. some good ones in Silver Linings playbooks. So fuck you guys, coach. <laughs> Go ahead. Bring it up. Do they have heart? Uh, I'm trying to think where says a lot of hearts. So here's 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 my here's all I have. So uh, Ewan McGregor tries to look very heartfelt in The Impossible. I'm not sure that it's a hot facial expression though. Thing is, I don't I don't know that I have anything. So what's the facial expression that's hot that yeah. wins from Rust and Bones? Do it for the listeners. Yeah. All right. Let me hold on. Let me do it now. The, there's a line that comes before it, and the line or there's a line that comes when she's doing it, and it's, it's damn. And here, I'm going to do the facial okay, expression go. right now. Oh, shit. Ooh, la, la. You know what? That's wow. Bad. That was yeah. good, Dingus. Holy shit. So it's rest on my bone right now from that. <laughs> All right, good. Okay. Uh, let me give you guys my uh, final award. This is the anti-Taylor Kitsch award. Uh, Taylor Kitsch had quite the year this year uh, with uh, Battleship and uh, John Carter of, of Mars and Savages. This is the anti-Taylor Kitsch three for three. award, and I'm giving it to Channing Tatum for 21 Jump Street, Haywire, and Kelly Wan's favorite, Magic Mike. Well done. <laughs> uh, Channing Tatum, congratulations. You are no longer going to be known as the guy from Step Up. He's what do you think? Uh, see, exactly, Kelly Wan. <laughs> you used to see every fucking dance movie that even Adam Kendrick's not in. Is that what your thing is? Uh, I have not seen the... I think there are four step-ups. I've only seen three of them. I did not see the most recent There's one. Four, as many Jaws movies as step-ups. Um, I think that is a correct assessment. You have counted correctly. There's yes. as many Alien movies as step-ups. Go on. There's as many Star Wars movies. Wait. Uh, <laughs> we should be so lucky. I remember sitting beside you in a theater and right? Step Up 3, Bring on the Warrior, or Bring on the War or something, right? and then you cackled like a girl. Like, oh, who would ever see something like that? But you know so much about all these movies. Uh, let me give you two she words, knows. Kelly Wand, about the Step Up movies. Are you ready? Yeah. Brianna Evigan. Mm. All right, so from our listeners, uh, Paul <laughs> Paul Weimer uh, says, uh, let's see uh, some stuff about here. Here's three awards for the end of the year. Most unrecognizable character actor in a movie. This is beautiful, Paul. Willem Dafoe as Tars Tarkas in John Carter. That's who that was? <laughs> it was a cartoon. Uh, Paul's other award, best reinterpretation of a character. The Russian-accented wormhole-using Santa Claus in Rise of the Guardians. Ugh. To which I respond, ha-ha, Paul saw Rise of the Guardians. Didn't Dingus see it? Nope. Okay. And then finally, <laughs> uh, best football game in a movie, the Rapid City meets Gotham City football game at the start of Dark Knight Rises. That is a good game. Uh, so let's run down the list here. Here are Paul's uh, top ten. Uh, from 10 down to 1, number 10, The Gray, number 9, Brave, number 8, uh, Dingus, you have offended Paul Weimer because he picked Chronicle. Number 7, Haywire. Oh. Number 6, Argo. Number 5, Cabin in the Woods. Number 4, Moonrise Kingdom. Number 3, Zero Dark Thirty. Number 2, Skyfall. And Paul's number 1 movie for the year was The Avengers. Suck it, Kelly Wand. I was going to put Haywire on my list to, to mess with Tom's head, but I forgot I saw it this year. 
I did not hate Haywire. Uh, my num- uh, Jeff Sweet. <laughs> hate Wire was with your name. Uh, I did not hate Haywire. <laughs> uh, Jeff Sweet's three awards. Best missed opportunity for Visine product placement. Freddy's processing in the master. <laughs> You blinked. (laughs) It was beautiful. Uh, Jeff Sweet's other award. Best example for why I prefer movies shot on film instead of digital. The Master. Very good. Uh, And Jeff Sweet's other award. Best worst hairpiece. Dr. Barry Nile in Beyond the Black Rainbow. Oh, Kelly Wan, you should see uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow. It was, I think... It was, I think, uh, only a DVD release. It may be video on demand. I don't think it had a theatrical release. It is a, a guy made this movie based on growing up in the 80s and going into video rental places and, and looking at the horror and science fiction movies and the covers on, on VHS boxes and, and not being able to see the movie. I think he was too young. But what he thought the movies would be. He decided to make this movie called Beyond the Black Rainbow, which is this weird, trippy, oddly paced science fiction i don't it's not a thriller i don't know what you'd call it but he, he based it on what he thought these 80s movies were in in a, a video rental store uh and you the black rainbow refer to uh you know what i couldn't even tell you i've seen the movie and i i couldn't even tell you one of the cool things about beyond the black rainbow is where it eventually goes and some people hate that but i love what it does just for the hell of it maybe like 10 minutes before it's over it's just like, we're going to do this now. A lot of charcoal. You'll see. Uh, but anyway, uh, best worst hair piece is that Jeff gives uh, the actor in that, who's actually very good, uh, best worst hair piece. So uh, Jeff's top 10 films of 2012, uh, counting from 10 down to 1. Number 10, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. I don't even know what that is. Number 8, I think Spoiler. he has skipped. That's a documentary, so you wouldn't count it. Is it really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. I think uh, number nine is Beyond the Black Rainbow. Number eight, Cabin in the Woods. Number seven, Zero Dark Thirty. Number six, I don't think any of us saw this, Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, These kids. Hello? Uh, no. Dingus, did you see Wreck-It Ralph? No. Uh, my uh, my kid and my wife saw it, but I did not. Tom, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, I'm not making this up. We are having technical difficulties. My headphones. It's Tom, just... not me. But <laughs> no, my literally, this is not a joke. My headphones just broke. <laughs> my Watson, I dropped my pipe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Getting through Jeff's list. Uh, number five, Dark Knight Rises. What? That's right. Suck it. Number four, Argo. Oh. Number three, Flight. Hmm. Number two, you guys will enjoy this. Goon. And Jeff Sweet's number one movie from 2012, The Master. I have to say, I, that yeah, I have to say, I, I applaud anyone who is willing to put such a bold, weird, different, hinky movie on uh, their top ten list. Certainly, at the Army moment. wanted to see Flight because it glamorizes uh, a guy who's on drugs, like being awesome, like doing some cool stunts and saving lives because he's really baked. I pretended it was weed instead of alcohol. I see. It's white instead of black. Uh, okay. Writer instead of a pilot. Anyway, continue. So uh, Nick Dingle uh, writes us here his three awards. Worst drug dealer, John Goodman in Flight. 
He tries vainly to bring some life to this, quote, alcoholics are tedious movie. Very nice, Nick. Uh, But instead just makes a fool of himself. So now how do you feel, Kelly Wan? You still want to see it? Shame to myself, but yes. Number two, best sense of place. Very nice. Uh, Beast of the Southern Wild. Uh, He calls it an extremely evocative depiction of New Orleans. I'm not sure that's technically correct, though. Uh, I mean, I, I love that pick, but is it? I don't think it's technically New Orleans. Uh, oh, here's a good one. Oh, no, it's not. Uh, <laughs> sexiest moment. Emily Blunt lying on her bed and touching her fingers to her thigh, then her lip in Looper. What? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I should see it again. Wait, that is, she touches I mean, no, her he, thigh. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I, that's, no, first of all, that's nowhere near as sexy as her chopping wood in that movie, and that's not a euphemism. <laughs> uh, Nick's top ten movies for 2012. Number ten. Oh my god, I hate to do this to the guy, to this guy, to read this out loud, but he wrote Nick's it. So I'm gonna look, read it. Uh, intelligent. Uh, number ten, John Carter. <laughs> number nine, Pitch Perfect. Beautiful. Number eight, uh, Skyfall. Number seven, Life of Pi. Number six, Argo. Number five, Cabin in the Woods. Number four, Moonrise Kingdom. Number three, Lincoln. Nick's number two movie of 2012, Django Unchained. <laughs> and Nick's number one movie of 20, uh, 2012, The Avengers. Uh, Finally, you, know, you guys didn't have Lincoln on your lists, I noticed. Just saying. Uh, yeah. Finally, we did not. You're right. Uh, very perceptive of you, Kelly Lon. See it, Kelly. Finally, Soren Hoogland uh, writes to us his three end-of-the-year awards. Mustaches of the year goes to... <laughs> Ready for this? Not Lincoln, by the way. Argo. Which one? Which one? His number... Uh, his title reveal of the year? Cabin in the Woods. Also very nice. Uh, and finally, his... Hey, wait a minute. Finally, his actor of the year goes to Channing Tatum. He, he mentions not for a single performance, but for the streak of Haywire, 21 Jump Streak, and Magic Mike. And uh, Soren suggests that after mentioning Magic Mike, there should be a Kelly Wand growl. Come on, Kelly Wand, give it to us. I didn't. Wait. <laughs> what if I were to say, what if I were to say Kelly McDonald and then really quickly say Channing Tatum? Try. I got it. Here we go. Here we go. Really, Kelly McDonald, Jenny Tatum. <laughs> I got <gotcha>. you. <laughs> Damn, I'm gay. All right, Soren Hergland's top ten movies of the year: number ten, The Gray; number nine, Magic Mike; number eight, The Raid Redemption. <laughs> oh, number, number seven, The Avengers. For number nine, by the way. Continue. <laughs> number seven, The Avengers. Number six, Looper, and he puts in parentheses, "Shut up, Tom." <laughs> number five. <laughs> Uh, Number five, Argo. Number four, Skyfall. Number three, Cabin in the Woods. Number two. Oh, okay. So this was a March release here in Finland, he says, so we'll allow it. His number two pick for 2012 was Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Mm -hmm. And his number one pick, Soren Hoogland's number one pick for the movies of 2012, Moonrise Kingdom. Wow. You know, everyone likes Argo, but... Argo, but... (laughs) (laughs) Argo, but... Uh, all right, so uh, let's see. That was 2012. Let's do a three by three next week. Dingus, what do you have for us next week? All right, this will be simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain things that happen in movies that make you want to change your behavior. Um, I've talked about this many times with Tom, where we'll watch a movie and we'll say, you know, damn, I wish I smoked. 
this is um, your favorite moment involving hats. Uh, so this makes you want to wear a hat all the time. What? Or, is hat, your favorite hats in movies. So there you go, hats. I like that. I, I can't believe we've never done that, but that's a great one. Okay. I'm favorite hats. Map the course of that setup. I, I love hats. Cigarettes. I love it. I love uh, somebody who can wear a hat. I just gave a gift of a hat to somebody who requested a really cool hat in a wish list, and I'm like, man, I could never rock a hat like that. And I keep trying to wear hats, and I look ridiculous in them. Uh, so, you know, there are movie characters that look awesome in hats. So go ahead, your favorite hats. We don't, Yeah, I don't. it needs no explanation. I think that's a great one. Uh, if you want to participate, give us your 3x3 three three picks for uh, best use of hats. Uh, send them in to 3x3, that's 3x3, three three, at quarter2three.com. Uh, next week, we will be seeing... Uh, I can't. Oh, Gangster Squad! Yeah, <laughs> Gangster Squad. You say it like that. <laughs> uh, I know. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm really trying hard. I like it when you try to pump things up. Gangster Squad! Yeah, can't bring it. You Come on. straight last second. Uh, squad. You'll see. You'll see, Kelly Wand. It'll be a great movie. It'll be, it'll be on our top ten list a year from now, and we'll be going. You know what? Before we, uh, just to let you know, another January release was The Gray. I just want everyone to keep that in mind when they go see Gangster Squad. Keeping it in mind. Great. <laughs> uh, we saw we saw that on January twenty seventh. Uh, yeah, The Gray. The yeah. Gangster Squad. Yeah. So uh, see that and join us next week. Send us your 3 by 3 picks for uh, hats in movies. What, what works for you? What do you like? What makes you want to wear a hat? Uh, let us know. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Mokrowski, I think. It's right? Christian Mokrowski. You're close. That's what I said. And Kelly Wand. Skull's a hat for your brain. <laughs> Everyone, what's this from? Uh, Magic Mike, when he pulls off his cloth phone, <laughs> when Dingus start boiling up, before he goes up against uh, the, the evil strippers, the other from the rich side of town, fucking pretentious strippers, with their Harvard accents and their fucking smoking jackets and their Cartier nose rings and belly buttons. Right? I don't know who wins, though. Because remember, Bring It On had an upset at the end, so maybe Magic Mike comes in second, but he learns how he learns. That's the, that's the music when he learns it. That he learns that there's more important things than stripping against the strippers. They may have the money to not wear clothes more classily with their fucking fake tan oils, but he's learned about love. Hey, uh, would you see a body switch movie with Taylor Kitsch and Sam Worthington? Oh my god! Kelly Wad, that's, that's so awful, it's ingenious! Oh, I'd pay to see them. Because you like the brute one and they have the same kind of hair. What would you call that? Uh... Sitch. <laughs> no, I would call it a thing. It would just be called entitled. What if they switched? Uh, the- oh, yes. 
Do you know Do you know this music, Dingus? No. Excalibur. Uh, it's Alexander Desplat's uh, helicopter flight music from Zero Dark Thirty. Oh my! How'd you get it? Is this what they listened to when they really did the raid, or did they listen to? Uh, you can. The soundtrack's available. You can get it. I just made a recording from a YouTube video of it. Um, I don't so. remember it being that prominent. I just, oh, that you're right though. Now I can see the okay. The only thing about it's like Jessica Jastain doesn't come on the raid, but she's in all the rest of the movie. Hi, huh, guys. He, he's adopted. 